0: This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent.
1: days you can track the movements of just about anyone through the constant interactions we all have with friends and family via text, via social media. All day long we are in communication plugged in to something thanks to the little computer most of us have in our hands right this very moment but for the vast majority of time that human beings have been bumping around on this planet we have been on our own Unable to keep tabs on one another in any other way than by letter or a knock on the door or planning ahead to meet at a particular place at a particular time. And things sometimes would happen to people. And nobody ever figured out how or why. In an age before organized police forces, which again is for the majority of time human beings have existed, the vast majority of time, people really did seem to just fall off the face of the earth. They still do, of course. But for the last century or so, we've at least had some means to communicate and assist in the search, the investigation of a mysterious death or disappearance. I'd be lost without my phone. Gets said quite a lot. But I'm of the mind that many of us would find ourselves without this thing that's been sucking the life force for most of us for the past 15 years or so? And that's not the point here. I may be going too far off track, becoming lost myself in the process of delineating whatever my point was supposed to be here. Where am I? You know? Where are any of us? What's what's the definition of delineate? Am I even saying that right? Did I get that right? Let me just make sure here. Let me Google delineate. You see, we're getting lost these days in a different way. And I can't help but feel a heavy nostalgia, jealousy even, when a story like what you're about to hear takes us away and back to a simpler time. When a body could truly get lost and never have anyone know how or why it happened. Back when the shadows of men used to fall off the face of the earth. Like black, shining tears. Into the abyss,
2: and we are back up. Brought in by Jack. There, very fitting. Uh, what would you call it? Introduction, entrance, bring yes. in to what we're getting ready to cover today. Bring introduction. Today, up we're talking about the Yuba County Five, and it's uh, also known. As the American
0: Diatlov's Pass. You remember when we did the Diatlov's Pass episode? Yeah, and you had a, a temporary, if not extenuating, problem with your passionate love and desire for a relatively homely woman. And I believe there was even a man in there that you fell in love with.
2: There was a very fine, beautiful woman in that story that died. It was very sad, and there was a very beautiful man. A lot of sexiness that turned into ossicles out there in, in Russia.
0: Would you even go sad. as far as to say sexicles?
2: <laughs> sexicles. They, yes. Yes. And the reason they call this the American. So if you've listened to the TCK episode of the Atlas Pass, I believe it was episode three. Wow. I'm actually that, pretty that sure that it was episode ago? three. Wow. Then you know that it's it's about a mysterious disappearance of a group of people. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would, I would honestly, if you haven't listened to the Atlas Pass, I would recommend the listener Go give that a listen before you listen to this one. They're not connected in any way whatsoever. There's about a 60-year difference in the two, and it's on the other side of the earth. But I believe that these two episodes would go go together like fine wine, like a steak and and an orange crush.
0: Or like Rocky and Russian boxer competitor. Like you need to understand both sides in order to, to appreciate the movie.
2: Yeah, and you don't even have to understand both sides. They stand completely alone. On their own because they are completely unrelated, but the overlying story is similar in terms of just what in the fuck happened here. Yes, like what 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 happened? We have
0: no idea. Well, I was going to say we don't know what's going on, similar to Rocky Six. Don't really know what's going on in Rocky.
2: I haven't seen Rocky Six.
0: Uh, yep, it's don't just don't. Is there a Rocky Six? You know, I don't know if they went as far. I don't know if they did the. Fast and Furious thing where they numbered them all like that, but I believe there was and Jonathan B. Jordan or Jordan B. Peterson or somebody was in it. Jordan Peterson was in no. Rocky 6? I mean, Michael B. Jordan. When the hell did he get into acting? <laughs> and boxing. <laughs> I do
2: want to get something out of the way before we dig into this. Hey. This story, uh, unlike the Diotlov's Pass episode, It does have a group of a group of people. It's five young men. The difference in this story and the Diallo's past story is that all the young men in this story have mental disabilities. And if that triggers you, I'm talking to the listener. If that triggers you, just turn it off now and save us the bad reviews. Some of the old newspapers that we're going to read in this episode uses words like retard and retarded. It is what it is. I don't know, man. Just deal with it. I guess we've came a long way since the 70s. What I'm saying is don't bother tweeting me or anything like, like that. You know, I I don't, I don't care if you're upset. I don't, I don't care. So please, (laughs) if you're going to get butt hurt, just turn it off now.
0: Yeah. Just turn it off. Save us all, save us all time. I wanted to get something off my chest really quick too, before we start, if you, if it's okay with you. Okay. I came up with a new business idea. Wanted to run it by you just briefly, very briefly. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, franchise, a strip mall franchise of stores to go in strip malls where because gynecological tests and checkups, If I don't know strip if you malls, know.
2: Strip malls, by the way, fun yeah. places where you can buy almost anything and also see a lady take her clothes off. That,
0: and very similar to that, I wanted to make a franchise for gynecology visits at strip malls. So once again, adding to the theme of get anything you want and see someone take their clothes off. This would be a series of uh, small, like kind of like photo booth size uh, gynecology centers, in, and you put them in strip malls for easy access. And I just wanted to, one, I can get you in on the ground floor if you want. Uh, mind your step. <laughs> and also, uh, I wanted to run the name by you, see what you thought. Yeah. Okay. okay. The name uh, that I was thinking of going by was SeaWorld. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, SeaWorld.
0: Get it? Because yeah. the the letter yeah, C. It.
2: Yeah, you're you're just basically you're doing a worse version of when they attach a subway to a Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> or like an A&W root beer restaurant to a Long John Silver's or a, it's always actually, it's usually a Subway insert something else.
0: Yeah. Th- um, That would, yeah. Yeah. Fun fact to know and share all those stores that bolt together like that. Those restaurants, they're all owned by a company called Yum Brands.
2: <laughs> and nothing associated with Subway should be referred to as Yum. There's yeah. everything there. tastes like newspaper and water.
0: I think that Long John Silver's is just like a front for like the 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 Twelve Horsemen or something. Why are we keeping that place open? It, it, I love Long John Silver's. Oh wow! Are you a member of the Twelve Horsemen? Or
2: look, the year is nineteen seventy-eight. Mm-hmm. That's the time frame we're dealing with here, nineteen seventy-eight. Yeah, and there was literally no good music on the charts that year. It's a lot of BGS, which are terrible. I hate the BGS and Andy Gibb which is worse than the BG's one of my favorite things of doing the research for these for all these stories that we do on TCK is seeing what cars, clothing, music, movies were popular at the time of the story right i think it gives you good insight into what we as people were like mm-hmm. culture it's a huge cultural part and the BG's were awful and Andy Gibb was awful cars were ugly in the 70s cars were god awful ugly the only the only worse years for cars i believe than the 70s were the 80s in the seventies, everything they just seems like they just stretched everything out. It was like, let's make this vehicle as long as we can. What if we had like a semi, but it didn't pivot in the middle? Yeah. That would be fun. <laughs> and then in the eighties, they went the opposite direction. They're like, let's make it smaller, but let's just turn it everything into a shoebox. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you also had the IROC Z that came around in the seventies, which was just a horrible car, powerful and fast, but also.
2: Also very heavy. Very heavy. That thing weighed like 10,000 pounds yes. dry. Yeah. That's after you took all the door panels and everything out of it. Yeah. So cars were ugly. <laughs> Clothing was awful. So much played. It was just everything was played. The, the pants, the panties, the underwear, the people's hair was played. The couches were played. Carpet was played. The ceilings were played.
0: Is played like the past tense of wearing plaid? Is that like I was wearing plaid, so I was played?
2: You know, uh, I once read that somebody mispronouncing a word is a sign of intelligence because that means that they learned that word by reading it over and not hearing it.
0: Oh, that's fucked up. (laughs) Uh.
2: (laughs) Is it really plaid? I've always called it plaid. Wow. And nobody ever corrected me because I live in Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> having me hit by a bus.
2: Even if I'd said plaid, they were like, I don't know. "Whatever."
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's so alone. cars
2: were bad. Clothing was bad. So much plaid. Yeah. Music yeah. was bad. Movies were terrible. Nineteen seventy-eight. Nothing good for movies came out. Aside from two, uh, and those two were Dawn of the Dead and Halloween, the original Halloween, which came out that year. Two good movies, but aside from that, terrible year. For movies, terrible year for cars, for clothing. A good year to die, honestly, because everything sucked. <laughs> just <laughs> everything sucked. It did. We culturally were in a dark we were in a black hole phase. Just everything was terrible. <laughs> we just got out of Vietnam. Well, not just. We're we're a pretty good period. We're over a decade out of Vietnam by this point, but we're still feeling the repercussions. Yeah. With location. Yuba City, California, now Yuba City, California, perfectly center of the state on the east to west axis, almost center on the north to south axis. And what I mean by that is from left to right, it is perfectly center in the state of California and up to down. It's a little north, but it's, it's uh, in, in the center of California for the most part. Yuba City, California has a population of about 17,000 people in 1978, the year that this happened which is about the population of the county that I grew up in right now. Pretty small place. Yeah. In 1978, anyway, it has grown drastically since then. Mm-hmm. Yuba City, California, primarily cracker. Very pale. If you walk around there, very pale. Uh, and the second most common race in Yuba City, California in in 1978 was uh, Hondas, and that's Asian people. That's Asian. <laughs> uh, and getting mad if you want about that comment will give a fuck. A Honda is a great car. It is. You can run those 800,000 miles without an oil change.
0: (laughs) Can can you?
2: 800,000 miles. And Asian people are kind of the same way because they live to be 350 years old.
0: Yeah, it's true.
2: They build cars just like they are built as people.
0: I watched the Olympics and, and they also have a mode that, like, if you put a whole group of them together, they all dance in the same directions and Really crazy. They've got, like, this different upgrade mode they have.
2: It's like a hive mind.
0: Yeah, yeah. Crazy.
2: Our five unfortunate souls in today's story, the Yuba County Five, as they will eventually be called, met at a place called the Gateway Projects in Yuba City. Now, what's that? You're probably wondering that, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. I'll let this old newspaper article sum it up for you. Okay? Okay. And here's a bit about the Gateway Project from August of 1975 in the newspaper. And I'm going to let you read it, and I know that your default voice for reading things, for whatever reason, is a black southern gentleman. Yes. So, I'll let you read this little tidbit here about the Gateway Project and what it did from an August of 1975 newspaper.
0: Do you want me to to do it as a black southern gentleman? You're going
2: to. Oh, I already know that you yeah. I already knew that you would. I would. It's, that wasn't me going. Yes, de- making a demand. That was me going. I know that you're going to. <laughs> I
0: I thought I thought maybe you were thinking. You're like, man, we've got too many listeners. How do we call this listener herd? I know. Let's
2: do a stereotypical Southern black guy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Let's do character parody voices. All right. <clears throat> let's see here. Let me just get in the character. <clears throat> All right.
3: Here we here we are. All right. They are the handicapped people of Yuba in subtler counties in California. Some mentally retarded, some emotionally disturbed, some former drug addicts, handicapped but not helpless. To assist those who wanted to work, concerned local citizens established in 1969, a federally subsidized training center called Gateway Project. Here, the clients learn some basic skills. They assemble kits of electric rods for utility companies, field linemen. They reupholster chairs for nearby military bases. They tie together stocks of wheat for a local florist who sells dried flowers by mail. Sometimes they receive the U.S. minimum wage of $2.10 an hour. Sometimes as little as 53 cents. Not much. Admits a gateway official, but it beats sitting in front of the television all day, which is probably what they'd be doing.
2: <laughs> what a different time, right? It's
0: What a different time.
2: Some of them are mentally retarded. And uh, yeah, we're not paying them shit, but at least they're not sitting in front of the TV all day. <laughs> which That's is basically what, what this doing. article, <laughs> like a bunch of retards. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a different time different time and your voice is hurt i can tell your throat is hurting
0: yeah that, that i'm i'm also kind of under the weather so Ugh. yeah we
2: had to postpone recording this for a few days cuz you were in bad shape a few days ago
0: yeah people
2: wondering why this took a little while
0: yeah people are wondering why everything takes a little while so
2: opo on was on his <laughs> deathbed
0: I was but can't say that publicly cuz you know we're late on everything
2: <laughs> <laughs> to sum up this uh this uh, semi non PC article from nineteen from the nineteen seventies here to simplify the Gateway Project. It was just a place where people with special needs could hook up. Not not like fuck. It wasn't a spot. It wasn't a fuck spot for the handicapped.
0: wasn't Tinder. It was. It wasn't Tinder Render. for the
2: handicap. No, they didn't just show up at the Gateway Project with their dicks out mm. and Yuck. gay and 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 people with special needs have huge dicks. Do they? I don't know if you know that. I
0: didn't know that. I don't know how I would know
2: that. I uh, I saw a, whenever, I remember when I was in school, a I, I, I'm not going to go into how, but there was a special needs boy that presented himself and he had a massive dick. Wow. It was like freakish. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> and he was like, it was like, the Lord was like, I know, I'm sorry. I kind of tampered with your brain there, but I'm going to make up for it. With a literal twenty-pound Louisville slugger in your pants, it was scary. It was scary. So, and because of that one experience, I have in my stupid head deducted or are rational reasoned that all special needs people have massive penises.
0: They, they might. Um, I don't know if that's you know just applies to one gender or not, but you know we'll run with it.
2: Well, yeah, obviously the the special needs females don't have large penises they oh. just
0: yeah okay <laughs> why is
2: it I, and i want to go why is it in my head that i just felt like it was inappropriate to talk about a special needs woman's vagina but in my head it was completely fine to go on a tirade about how big the dicks of special needs guys are
0: i you know the world is full of mystery and circumstance and pomp and this conversation has fallen deep into a Deep dark crevice of one of those three <laughs> mystery circumstance or pomp, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with mystery. I'm gonna okay. Go for okay, that's fair enough. Thank you. Let's get back on track. Stop, dis- stop distracting
2: us with yeah. these big old, big old <laughs> simple cocks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like someone's like put ants on my back. I, I get all wiggly. It's all wiggly right now. I just, <laughs> don't know. It's the conversation? or The Gateway
2: Project, it was a place where people with special needs could hook up and and become friends, uh, get a job, learn valuable life skills, and just kind of hang out. They even had a basketball team hey. up called the Gateway Gators. And that's very important in the story. The Gateway Gators, this um, Gateway Project-sponsored uh, basketball Good name. team. Right. That's one thing that our five victims here all had in common. They loved basketball, and they all played on the Gateway Gators basketball team. Uh, this is also where they got to know each other, for the most part, on the basketball team. These five men lived, breathed, and loved basketball, and they were very good considering their disabilities. They were like a special needs version of the 95 Chicago Bulls when they had Pippen, Rodman, Jordan, Harper, and Longley.
0: Yeah, I lived in Chicago. During that and saw them all play.
2: I, what a hell of a time to be a Chicagoan!
0: Chicagoan? No, I meant I saw those. Chicago. I saw the the Gateway Gators play. Was,
2: oh, I thought you said you lived
0: in Chicago did. when ninety-five Chicago. Yeah, I did. I couldn't afford to go to the Bulls games, but I, but I w- lived in Chicago and I was in Cuba County at, at one point and I saw the Gators play.
2: If I had a honestly, if I had a time machine in the and. And the time machine Lord, he crawled out of the ground and rested up on my knee <laughs> and said, hey, you only get to use this three times. I think one of the times that I would use it for would be to go back to 95 and see the 95 Chicago Bulls to see Pippen, Rodman, Jordan, Harper and Longley do their thing. What a probably I would say
0: the peak of basketball. Oh, I agree. Actually, I did go to a couple Bulls games and it was amazing. It was great. I also went to a Bears game, uh, where the stadium filled in with fog when we were there. Like it just turned into a bowl of fog, and you couldn't see anything except for when they punted the ball. Poof! Would come above the fog and then go back down.
2: What a waste yeah, of really, money!
0: I guess the game was playing down there, fog.
2: So with all that in mind, we got our we got our five people here. They're playing on the on the Gateway Gators. That's where they met. They're they're a group of young men that are. They're the five best friends that anyone could have. Uh, and let's get to know these these five young men up. Okay. First off, we have Theodore Ted Weir. Now, we're going to call him Ted for the rest of the story. The, Ted Weir was 32 years old and was described as a boy trapped in a man's body. Now, he did live at home with his parents. He was six feet tall, 200 pounds, had curly, beautiful brown hair and brown eyes. His parents called him Teddy Bear because of how innocent he was. He had a little bit of a beer belly, but he he was an extremely friendly person. had a had a bubbly, fun personality, much like a you know a child, like kind of a young boy, like a
0: boy trapped just in a, a man's a, body,
2: like a young boy trapped in a man's body. Some people mm-hmm. would say. Mm-hmm. Now Ted was a 1964 graduate of maryville's high, Marysville High School. Serious.
0: He graduated in from Marysville High School in
2: 1964. Oh god. I mean yeah, he, he did.
0: There is a S. there is a Kennedy half dollar that's called the SMS from 1964. It's it, it stands for special mint set. It sold in 2016 for $47,000. It, it 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 wasn't shiny. It was matte. It had like a a matte finish. And and there was there was etchings on the outside of it that looked like fingerprints, but they were actually just carbon. And nobody knows how it was made. There's actually only ten to twelve that are known examples. Sold for forty-seven thousand. Then it was beaten by another one that sold for fifty thousand. And nobody knows how they have they have different coloring. They have different finishes. No one knows. No one knows what happened. But these SMS special. That's amazing. That he was he graduated in the same year as. Yeah, those 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 mysterious Kennedy half dollars were minted. What a coincidence, Crazy. What a what a halcyon year.
2: I know if I came across to one and I had fifty thousand dollars on me, I would keep on a walking. Nineteen sixty four is like I said, the year that Ted graduated Marysville High School, and it was there that he set a record. For throwing the softball for distance. Interesting.
0: So, I mean, despite his intellectual disabilities, very athletic. Well, that, that does line up with something. It's a it's an insensitive illusion, the allusion, A L A-L, allusion that people make. They allude to the fact that they say that 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 there is an additional, there's an extra helping of strength in many that are that are potentially mentally handicapped in some cases. You've have you heard this? Yeah, and huge dicks. Oh, yeah, I was I don't yeah, that, uh, that's I don't think that's as common of knowledge.
2: Okay, yeah. We'll go back to what you want to talk about, which is their muscles. I will give you I will I will give you that. The intellectually disabled do also often seem to be unusually strong. Yes. Like gorilla strength.
0: Yes. I'm not quite sure
2: why. I don't either, now that I'm thinking about like
0: it. Like you said, the Lord taketh away and opens a window.
2: Yeah, massive dicks, yeah. ungodly strength. Yeah. Like, it's almost, we're fortunate that they were giving an intellectual disability because there's no way that a normal man could compete with these guys nope. on a
0: physical front. Nope. The only way you can compete with that is if you have lifted truck.
1: <laughs> that made me laugh a little bit.
2: So, Ted, we're talking about Ted yeah. Weir here. One of his traits... He would wave excitedly at strangers when he saw them, and if they didn't wave back, he would become upset because he was worried he had done something wrong. Oh,
0: that's sad.
2: Yeah. His brother Dallas described him as lacking common sense, and uh, one example of this, for instance, uh, one time the family home caught on fire real late at night. Ted was in bed, and when his brother Dallas shook him awake, and told him the house was on fire. There's smoke in the room, right? The house is very clearly on fire. This is a life or death situation. So Dallas is like, we got to get out of here. Ted looks around, assesses the situation, and tells him that he doesn't care. He has to be up for work in the morning to leave him alone. Yeah. His brother ended up having to carry Ted out of the blazing house on his shoulder because he had to be up for work in the morning. He didn't have time to be interrupted by this house fire. Yeah. Got to get eight in. Ew. Got to get eight hours you in. You fill
0: those muscles with energy
2: takes a lot of sleep to get the blood oh, pumping to that huge Stop dick. It. Now, another time, he bought 100 dollars worth of pencils for absolutely no reason whatsoever. No reason you know whatsoever.
0: what? I I have to I have to agree with this one. When I'm at Hobby Lobby, don't get me near the pens, art pens and pencil section. I will buy that place out. I every time I'm like, "Oh, I need more stippling pens." I haven't done stippling in like 16 years. But there I am. I'm <laughs> Okay, I see
2: your, exa- your example of maybe a time when you've done that. I will, I see your example. I will raise you. I have probably done this as well because whenever I was in school, they had these little gray boxy like vending machine things, but they didn't have like a window or anything in them. And you could buy a note a notebook out of them and, ele- and pens and pencils with quarters. Oh. And they had designs on them. And I probably bought $100 worth of pencils out of those things <laughs> for absolutely no reason whatsoever, just like Ted Weir did. And I don't have a huge dick, which is not fair. Yeah. I got all of the downsides that this guy has and none of the pluses. And
0: you're still spending the same amount of money. And
2: I'm still spending the same amount of money. Yeah. Now, Dallas, Ted's brother, said that sometimes Ted would shake shake him awake in the middle of the night. Right, Dallas is sleeping. He's sleeping. He's sleeping peacefully his brother ted shakes him awake in the middle of the night like two in the morning and asks him questions like why can mickey mantle hit the ball farther than me weird but these are questions we all ask it's kind of scary i mean if i was like in a dead sleep and i got shaken awake in like a panic right like oh what's wrong what's wrong what's
0: wrong And it's like why can mickey mantle hit the ball farther than i can What's what's really weird about this is you say it's scary, and it is because so many of the things this guy does so far are things that I find myself doing.
2: <laughs> you shake your wife awake and ask her questions like, why can why can Mark McGuire hit the ball farther yeah, than I can? well,
0: okay. Case in point, last night, woke her up, blah, blah, blah. She's like, what? I'm like, blah, blah, blah. Sea world. She didn't
2: like it i don't understand why me
0: neither um
2: ted also didn't understand why you had to stop at stop signs in a vehicle he had never heard of i guess a t-bone collision uh one time he worked as a clerk at a local snack bar that was one of his jobs but his parents made him quit because it was really stressing him the f out years like he was really stressed out, you know, people are asking for Hershey's, people are asking for Doritas. people are like, "Hey, you know, how much is that?" It's like, "Ah, oh, I can't do this. This uh, job is too much." Now, after after he got after he quit his job as the clerk at the snack bar, that's when he gets his job through the Gateway Projects facility, repairing damaged cable for the Pacific Gas and Electric Company. And that brings us up to up to date on Ted Weir. That's our first member of the Yuba County Five.
0: When you first said that he was repairing damaged cable for the Pacific Gas and Electric Company, I thought, that seems to be fraught with liability. However... Yeah, and more stressful than selling
2: Mr. Goodbars. Yeah, the
0: implications of a job not well done seem to be far-reaching. Well, I
2: think the difference here, it's important to note that this job is done at the Gateway Projects facility with people that are... Uh, Okay. So well versed in dealing with special needs people. Right, so
0: he wasn't like a lineman <laughs> hanging out no, there on no, the no, telephone. No, no this can. is
2: all under somebody's
0: watch uh, okay. eye. Okay. Yeah. I will say I when I, I lived in Denver at one point, went to the art institute, and there was a very touched individual that managed the apartments all by himself. It was probably fit. touched. But, He'd been molested? Well, I don't know. Mentally touched, I will say. Oh, yeah. Touched
2: by the Lord. Yes,
0: and uh, and he on his frontal lobe. He did that job amazingly well. The only the only thing was, he was very black and white about where to set the. Uh,
2: oh, so he's interracial.
0: <laughs> also, yes. He but he turned the 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 water heater thermostat. He was like, it's a heater, so it must be hot. So he turned that thermostat dial all the way to the hottest it could be. So. What came out of your faucets was lava. And I remember a lady's son <laughs> bird himself, you know, turning on the hot water. And she she came out screaming at him in the hallway and he screamed back at her. Hot water burn baby. Yeah. Him. And he, he was like, that's what hot water does. And he stormed away and didn't ever really fix it. So uh, excellent job, except for very, very, very A, B, you know, binary decision making on some things. <laughs> The second
2: member of the Yuba County Five, the second member of this little clique here, this little clique of special needs gentlemen, is William Bill Sterling. And for the rest of the story, we're just going to call him Bill. Hey. Bill Sterling was 29 years old. He was five ten, 160 pounds, with black hair and beautiful blue eyes. Now, he had graduated from Placer High School in 1967. He was also said to have a mind like a child. He was best friends with a uh, man that we have yet to meet. We will in just a second. Jack Madruga, but he was also very close with Ted Weir, the the first member of our group, and he had known Ted Weir for about eight eight years. Now, Bill Sterling was often the recipient of Ted Weir's phone calls, where Ted would call up Bill and just read him funny names from the phone book.
0: <laughs> so. That's fun. Another thing I do.
2: That, those must have been excruciating phone calls. I can.
0: <laughs> it would have been like a, would have been like a telethon graduation ceremony.
2: Uh, can you imagine those phone Like, and you're trying to get off the phone, <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah.
0: You, you just hear another page turn. You're like, oh gosh, all right, freaking. Okay.
2: Yeah. He doesn't even have them like preloaded in yeah. the chamber. Like, okay. He's, you've got to sit there while he finds. Anita.
0: Men the hug and kiss.
2: <laughs> but what this does do, Op, is it kind of gives you an idea of the innocence and uh, and and the childlike kind of nature of these friendships, yes, right?
0: Exactly.
2: These men are all in their twenties, every one of them, and this is the kind of stuff that they did. Now, Bill Starling was very religious. Spent much of his free time reading from the Bible to mental patients in hospitals, volunteering. So we'd spend time in mental hospitals reading, reading to the. uh Reading to the mental patients there? I don't know, that also sounds stressful to me. He lived at home, not not for him, but for the patient. Like, oh God, I'm already here. They've got my ankles and wrists tied to this bed, and now I have to listen <laughs> to this young man read to me from the Bible while he literally looks under the word with his finger and trace and follows the words. And he also Stops every now and then and tells me about a funny name that he heard from the phone book. If my hands weren't tied, I would kill myself or attempt to again. But Bill Sterling lived at home with his parents. He rarely left his house unless it was for work, the library, basketball, or church-related activities. Now, he loved to read, spent a lot of time at the library also reading books. And about the only thing he was interested in reading about was the mentally handicapped. Interesting. Learning about the mentally handicapped, yeah. Uh,
0: I I will say that's a unique thing because a, a large swath of the mentally handicapped are are more or less unaware until informed, you know, of any disability they may have.
2: Yeah, I'm actually kind of concerned about that myself. Yeah, yeah. Like I sometimes I worry that nobody has just told me yet. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Have you seen my wife? I I I really feel like I am probably handicapped, and she's my caseworker. Well, you guys
2: have kids, yeah. so that's like, she really needs a raise. Yeah,
0: it's a, probably a... Because
2: she went, she's like very devoted to she's her job. dedicated,
0: <laughs>
2: so good for her,
0: I guess. Hope she's paid well. I don't know. Reminds me of that
2: show, The Truman Show, that movie, yes. The Truman Show. Yeah. You know, a problem with that movie, huge gaping plot hole that I always thought about when I watched that movie, is so we're we're to believe that the people in that movie right that was their job right they're just they're basically actors in this movie but the problem with that is when are they supposed to spend the money because like his wife right she's an actress in this in the movie that he doesn't know right. about but she is a part of his life 24 7
0: yeah yeah when did she go home when did she do anything except for this yeah when did she spend the money never
2: at that point you're not an actress <laughs> no you're just married to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, Bill briefly worked at Sunsweet Growers, which was a dried fruit company. It's the same sunsweet company that today makes all kinds of like prune juices and prunes and dried fruits and prunes. You know who else is like dates. that now that
0: I think about it? You know who else is like the what? Truman Show? Spies. You think about it. Like when do they spend the money yeah. that they actually get?
2: Yeah, and even if they did get it, wh- how are they going to spend it without their Yeah. Ever their significant other knowing exactly. about it. Like you might have the money but you can't how spend weird. it. You can't just show up one day at Truman's house in a Lamborghini. Yeah. He's going to have
0: questions. Yeah, and does a spy how does a spy get paid? Like like you know. Is there like a
2: probably direct deposit. Direct
0: deposit but it's so weird think about that weird <laughs> anyway sorry sorry about that dishwasher so he worked at the sunsweet Sunsweet sun sweet company like i said it's the same it's
2: the same co- it was called sun sweet growers at the time now it's the very famous sun sweet company like i said they make prune juices prunes dried fruits prunes dates all the things really they make all the stuff that makes you poop yeah, a lot I was say. now for bill his friend jack madruga had gotten him a job there as a dishwasher Shortly after he had started, though, the company installed new automatic dishwashing equipment and poor Bill had trouble learning how to operate it. And he ended up having to quit because he could never get a grasp of the new dishwashing equipment.
0: Yeah, the, the, I, I was a dishwasher at one point. Um, I believe there was two buttons, a green one and a red one. You may
2: have been able to figure it out, but you probably also don't have a huge dick. <laughs> it could
0: have gotten in the way. and Maybe that was fun.
2: what is better. You tell me. I'll tell you what, if the Lord came down right now and he said, Hey, I'm going to give you two choices. You can either easily manipulate this dishwasher or I'll give you a third leg. I'll be like, Give me the leg. You, Somebody else can figure know, out the dishwasher.
0: I, I know I'm, I probably have dis, I, I I'm glad that I am, I am constructed the way I am because I know myself and I, I have a respect for people with a dis, disproportionately large members because they're not just walking around showing everybody. I probably would. Yeah,
2: I would never wear pants, and then I would say it was because of my disability. Yeah, I didn't understand. Yeah, I would be I'm like supposed to wear pants. Well,
0: it, okay, if I was just me, but not this. Okay, if I were just me with a larger member, I, I would, I, I would, I would, I would find opportunities to show it off. I, that's the difference between. I, I'm, 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 I'm happy where I'm at because I know it would not be good. <laughs> I know I would.
2: Well, after having to quit his job at SunSweet Company uh because of the dishwashing equipment bill gets a job at nearby bill air force base as a dishwasher so he get, he goes from one dishwasher but the bill air force base they were they were running your standard dishwashing equipment which was just a sponge in a sink mm-hmm. right and this was his his craft this was his trade if you will his mother made him quit there though after finding out that the airmen there at bill air force base loved to get bill really drunk and then steal his money oh. Which is maybe the saddest part of this. Story. Holy cow.
0: Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> Very sad. Uh, kind of fucked up. Yeah. What you said.
2: Fucking airman. Yeah. Ugh. What you said again. Jack Madruga. That's our next member, the third member of the Yuba County Five. Uh, third Third member. Jack Madruga was 30 years old. He was five foot 10, 190 pounds with brown hair and hazel eyes. And if you see a picture of this young man, very handsome, very dashing, good looks. Uh, ladies, ladies probably loved this young man. He was born and raised in Yuba County. He had graduated from Marysville High School in 1966, where he was a very good student, made good grades. He was a Vietnam Army veteran who had went overseas in 1968. Uh, and that was, by the way, the peak of the Vietnam War because of the Tet Offensive op. You you probably know all about the Tet Offensive, though, I'm assuming.
0: Yes, I do. Yes. To so some
2: it all, we, this isn't about the Vietnam War, this episode, but the Tet Offensive was basically uh, what the Viet Cong launched in 1968 during the Tet holiday when it was basically supposed to be a ceasefire, right, for both sides because of the Tet Vietnam holiday. And uh, the, the uh, Viet Cong took advantage of that and launched an, an all out. Ambush against basically all the major built-up um, bases and everything in Vietnam. It was uh, massive casualties on both sides. Yeah,
0: that that war was a cluster, just a cluster. Uh, interesting note on that. You know, we in the in the thick of things, it seemed like the the, the Viet Cong were very random and guerrilla in their tactics, but they actually followed similar strategies to a a Chinese game called Go. Did you know this?
2: The Viet Cong? Yeah. No.
0: Yeah. There's a board game called Go. It's black and white pieces and stuff. And they, they followed similar strategies to Anyway, <laughs> that's all I okay. know. <laughs> I probably won't be wish doing the, a documentary. I wish it. we could do
2: graphics <laughs> for a podcast right now on the screen of the phone of whoever's listening to this, that little, the more, you know, star
0: shoots across.
2: So yeah, Jack Madruga was serving during the Tet offensive. A lot of casualties. Horrible time to be in Vietnam as an army as an army soldier. Uh, and that was in 1968. He was nicknamed Doc by his family. He lived with his mother, Melba Gail Madruga, in a trailer in the Mulberry Mobile Estates Park in Linda, California, which was just outside of Marysville. Now, after getting out of the army, he he got a job at Sunsweet Growers as a busboy and a dishwasher, and this is where he would eventually get a job for his friend that we just covered, Bill Sterling. Um, so Jack's working there. He doesn't have a problem with the with the new dishwashing equipment. He's got a pretty steady job at SunSweet Growers. Like I said, as a bus boy and a dishwasher, he attended Yuba College where he made good grades. And you're probably wondering what he was. What was he doing at the Gateway Project, right? Uh, it Seems like he's a Vietnam veteran. He was in the army, um, and this is why. Uh, According to his mother, although Jack was never diagnosed with anything, people around town thought of him as slow because of his his awkwardness and social situations. Despite that, Jack Madruga was apparently a, a very good student, highly intelligent, but extremely shy and extremely socially inept. Now, I personally believe just everything that I've read about Jack Madruga, up, I believe that he was likely probably autistic. Because even though that concept was coined in 1911, we didn't really start digging into it and diagnosing it until the 1980s and 1990s. And this is the 70s. Uh, just everything that I've learned, uh, I, I feel like uh, Jack Madruga was probably autistic.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're right. We weren't, uh, you know, we kind of went through different iterations of how to manage children with what we perceived as special needs. I, I remember I was in an advanced. I went to an advanced school uh, through sixth grade. And I was with the same like five or six kids the whole time. Same kids every class. And, you know, Kajal Patel and me and then Amit Gupta and a couple couple other kids. And there were a handful of kids in there that I, looking back on it now, I would say were probably autistic, but they were savants in certain things. Just socially, just terribly awkward. And it seemed appropriate. They were like, well, they're super smart, so let's pack them in this class. You know, and then and then they didn't really have to worry about them. You know, roaming the halls or getting in social conundrums in other classes. It makes me wonder Why was, why was I in that class? I don't know. That's another thing to unpack. <laughs> but
2: well, and it's well, it's also important to point out that obviously the autism is a spectrum, yes. right? So there are people that can have a touch of the tism. Yeah. And I myself have seriously no joke. I've honestly wondered myself if sometimes if I'm just very slightly on the spectrum of autism, mm-hmm. um, I know people I've got friends that are slightly on the spectrum and you wouldn't even know that really without getting to know them in depth. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I, I, people with autism, no matter how far in the spectrum they are, are oftentimes extremely, extremely intelligent. Yes. Like book wise. Yeah. Well,
0: we got my son diagnosed and it was, he, the, he came back on the spectrum on two out of like, I don't know, it was like two out of 48 items. He came back on the spectrum, which was enough to qualify him for like, you know, help through the government or state aid or, you know, that kind of stuff. And back in the day when I was poor, that was great. But uh, I remember uh, uh, the guy that ran the this, this psycho assessment, neuro, neuro assessment said, to To label him as autistic as he develops and grows would be a gross misrepresentation, so like you're saying, he, many people might have autistic traits, but the the evidence of those kind of fades as they go through life and develop social skills or you know the tools that are necessary to navigate yes. life, and so the the, 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 the the effect of the them on the spectrum seems to be quelled as as you maybe would put it.
2: I know. I said that I th- believe I might be slightly on the spectrum. Like we have already said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I feel like I got the bad things of being autistic and not the good things, like being a genius.
0: Yeah, me too. If I'm on you the know, spectrum, it's I'm like, yeah, brother, just
2: socially awkward, which is common with autism. You know, just kind of. I feel that sometimes in social settings.
0: I, I blame myself. I, it's it's interesting that you say that because when um, before when we would try when I would try to strike a conversation before we start recording. I always thought it was, you didn't like me, but now I know you're autistic and it makes makes more sense. I feel, <laughs> I feel better.
2: Now, the reason I don't like to talk before we start recording is because I've been reading and researching the case that we're covering for weeks and I want to get it out of me. Yeah. Like a giant poop. Yeah. if Like I just, you know how you eat Thanksgiving and you sit there on the couch for a little bit and then you feel this brick in your stomach and you're like, I have to evacuate this. That's how I feel when I sit down here. Like I need to get this out. Yeah,
0: if you were in the fourteen hundreds and and you were preparing for an episode prior to the episode, doctor would say, "Oh, he's got too much blood." <laughs> he would be. Yeah. He would just. <laughs> he's got too much damn too much, blood. Let's drain some of this before no. he starts recording. No, it's true. You're very you're very immersed in uh, the show.
2: <laughs> we're still on Jack Madruga. Yeah, so Vietnam veteran. Like I said, highly highly book smart. But lacks some common sense, you know. Look, like, uh, he he could probably recite to you everything about the Roman Empire, and but would have trouble, maybe, uh, or not trouble, but would have to. It would be hard work for him to do some kind, some basic
0: things. You could tell you everything thing you about know. the Roman Empire, but would hate going to Rome.
2: Yeah. So, some more about Jack Madruga here. His favorite show was I Love Lucy. He also loved all the game shows and board games. So, loved TV, loved I Love Lucy, the popular shows of the time, loved board games, I don't know, Monopoly and Mousetrap. <laughs> he loved Motown music. And how could you not? Who,
0: who who doesn't?
2: How could you not love Motown music? You Really Got a Hold on Me by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. It's one of the greatest songs ever made. And I will say that since I've been doing the research for the Yuba County Five I've had Motown music blaring out of the office and my wife is ready to leave me and kill me. Uh, I just, I love that. I can understand his love. He really got a hold
0: on me. Really? Really? It's just some great music. I heard it uh, several times when you were marcoing me back and forth. Also makes me wonder, like, at what point, can you imagine being a racist from that era and loving the music, but mm, I'm not going to listen to it. Nope. And then... You know, society changes. They just
2: their foot starts tapping yep. their racist foot, but they They're hate like, it. Ugh. It's like my heart's racist, but my foot. I hate this. Is Very progressive. Doris,
0: get over here. Let's dance this this anger away. Oh, 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 oh those blacks! They they make such good music. Oh, I I'm, don't. I'm, Why is their rhythm so? Good. Doris, I'm conflicted. <laughs> Let's go watch Archie. <laughs>
2: That's oh. <a> <laughs> Oh, racists. Now, uh, Jack Madruga's favorite singer was Diana Ross and the Supremes. Uh, he loved music he could dance to. And I'll tell you one thing, Op, about Diana Ross. You want to talk about a beautiful black woman? Yes. Diana Ross in her prime. Dude, fucking forget about it. That woman had a five-foot fro at one point and the damn bone structure of a goddess. Yes, it's true.
0: Nubian Cardi goddess. Cardi
2: who? Beyonce what? Diana Ross was bad news in her. Prime. Tell you what it was.
0: She was so attractive that that's what uh, Michael Jackson based his plastic surgeries on. Actually. Was yeah. it really? Yeah. Wanted to look like Diana. I Ross. completely
2: understand that. Cause that woman was gorgeous. She was. My God. <sighs> <sighs> it's getting warm. Yeah. In here. Diana. Anyways. Diana Ross way hotter than Princess Diana and I'll say that. Yeah. It's now, true. the hotter of the Dianas.
0: Princess Diana always looked like, you know, you know when military guys have to do that G-force test and their face kind of gets dragged down a little? Yes.
4: Princess
0: Diana looked like that, like gravity had like an extra couple Gs on a her stroke? face. Yeah, a little bit sometimes. You know, she'd also look pretty from time to time when she knew she was on camera, but there were times where gravity seemed to have G Forster? I don't know. I always thought Diana, Princess Diana was very attractive. Did you see the crime scene photos? Uh I have. I would say uh, she was more attractive pre wreck Yeah. But attractive
2: nonetheless. But anyway. Still, Diana Ross got her beat. Diana Ross had definitely had her beat, yes. Jack Madruga, like I said, loved Diana Ross. He had also Jack Madruga also saved up his army disability check. And every service member is rated a disability check after they get out. And I don't know if a lot of people know that. Uh, basically, um, they after you serve your time, they they go through your medical history. Uh, oh, you know, you broke your arm here. You've got back pain now. You got PTSD. You got black lung from riding the Aves. Whatever, whatever injuries that you acquired over your military time, right? And you're going to acquire some. Um, and then they rate you at a percentage of disability, whether it be five percent. or or 90% or 100% if you lost your legs, and then you get a check based on that percentage. So Jack Madruga saved up his Army disability check as well as his money that he had earned from working uh, at the SunSuite Growers and purchased a turquoise 1969 Mercury Montego.
0: Would you attribute that knowledge when you're in the military, getting a a disability check? based on your injuries and stuff, would you attribute any of that to like the, the, the frivolous, not frivolous, but you know, kind of the wanton disregard that military individuals seem to have for their own safety? Like, the, is, it, is that a factor? They're like, well, if I do get hurt doing this, it's just going to add to my disability when I get out. <laughs> That's basically
2: what it is. It's the, it's the check. It's a check. You're giving, yeah. you're giving the government a blank check. Like, here yeah. you go. Uh, my arms and legs are on this. My back, my knees, my yeah. hearing, my brain. Uh, you fill this out, and we'll just we'll add it. We'll divvy it all up after I get done serving here, and we'll see what the damage right is. Right now,
0: I'm going to run into this line of fire.
2: <laughs> so basically, it's the it's the government looking at you after you've got your DD two fourteen and and ended your service. The government looking at you and going, "So what's the damage? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what are we? What out are we of out, yeah. <laughs>
0: Let's see what you did."
2: Huh. What all did you fuck up while you were in? <laughs> let's 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 get a percentage here of how fuck you uh. are, and then we'll pay you that for the rest Damn. of your life. And that's yeah, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but that's kind of how. I never it works. knew that. That's that's it's really interesting. What it is. So, like I said, Jack Madruga, he purchased, saved up that disability check as well as his money from his job, and purchased a turquoise 1969. Mercury, Montego, and the reason that I've kind of elaborated on this, this car is probably one of the most important parts of this entire story. It is very important. Uh, This car was his pride and joy, Jack Madruga's pride and joy. He kept meticulous care of it and was the only one allowed to drive it. Um, It was everything to him. This car never had a speck of dust on it. It was in showroom condition every single minute of every single day. It was his whole life, and I don't blame him because that car is incredibly sexy. If you type in 1969 Mercury Montego, and I love the color that it was too. It was a turquoise color, super sexy car. Uh, especially when you see one where somebody's put a set of craggers on it, right, lowered it a little mm. bit. It has a real muscle car look to it, uh, with the exception of the tail lights. It kind of reminds me of an old Dodge Charger.
0: I love the old Dodge Chargers and Challengers. Love those cars.
2: If you can't already tell, like I said, Baldy hints up this car. Uh, and its importance to Jack Madruga will end up being uh, very, very important. So remember this car. And now we're moving on to the to the fourth member of the Yuba County Five, Jack Hewitt, or Jackie Hewitt. We're going to call him Jack Hewitt for the rest of this story, though. And Jack Hewitt was 24 years old. He was the youngest of all the boys. And uh, uh, according to everyone, was also the slowest of all the boys, Um he had a monopoly on two separate categories, I suppose, mm-hmm. the youngest and, and the slowest. Yeah. Five foot nine, 165 pounds, brown hair, green eyes. Jack Hewitt lived on a farm with his family and loved playing with the family dog, Bo, who was a beagle. He loved riding his 90cc Honda motorcycle around his parents' property. Uh, he looked up to Ted Weir a lot. Ted was like a big brother to him. Ted always made phone calls for Jackie because uh Jackie considered the phone very very it stressed him out. Uh, making phone calls made him very anxious, very nervous. Jack could not read or write and he had an IQ of around 40, so me and Jack have a lot in common. <laughs> um he was extremely shy and he had a speech impediment. This this is basically like a, a like a 7-year-old trapped in a in a in a grown man's yeah. body essentially. I guess what I'm saying up uh, it would be very sad if something horrible happened to him.
0: I feel like that's for, foreshadowing that you just did.
2: Did I go too heavy on the foreshadowing?
0: Hello, is anyone down in that basement? Uh, better check it out. I feel like that's what you just did. What is that noise? What's that noise. Being a black man, I should have better sense, but I'm going to <laughs> go ahead and.
2: He's going to survive in a in a 2021 movie, but yeah, in the 70s, 80s movies, Kiss. bro. Breathe. It was like, stay out of that basement. Go. Let the white people the go. White now. People go.
0: <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about, any horror movie from the 70s and 80s, black man always took a, took a fall before anybody else. Who knows why? Racism? I don't know.
1: <laughs>
2: and Archie Bunker
0: <laughs> comes to mind.
2: <laughs> Jack Hewitt did odds and ends jobs. For the Gateway Project facility in Yuba City. So he was all these men, obviously, part of the Gateway Projects. And that's where Jack Hewitt uh, did jobs for them. This is, like I said, Jack Hewitt, the most uh, intellectually disabled of the five. Okay. Last but not least of our Yuba County Five, the newest member of the group, uh, Gary Dell Matthias. Gary Matthias was 25 years old. He was 5'10", 170 pounds with brown hair and hazel eyes he wore very thick glasses for his garbage ass eyesight and without them he was almost blind in terms that he saw double uh, the reason his eyesight was so poor was when gary was 10 years old he had fallen out of a moving car after opening the door jeez oh, he was yeah uh, they, some say it was an accident he was fiddling with the doorknob the car was going down the road and uh, he fell out Uh, But regardless of why he fell out while the car was running uh, down the road, he was very seriously injured in the accident, and that left him completely blind for four days afterwards. And eventually he gained um, his eyesight back, with the exception of the fact that it was now double eyesight, which required him to wear glasses. Uh, Terrible. Now, Gary Mathias graduated from Marysville High School in 1973 and was a linebacker for the football team. He also served in the Army in 1973. He, he was stationed in Germany and honorably discharged because of mental illness. Now, it's important to note, this is also very important to the story. Gary Mathias was the only member of our Yuba County Five group that did not have an intellectual disability. He instead was a paranoid schizophrenic. I was going
0: to say, it, it didn't seem like, as soon as you said he served in the army, I know that there's, you know, I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but you know, most armies in all of recorded history haven't seemed to put a very high bar on IQ points, you know, to to go and serve. Well,
2: right, especially during the Vietnam yeah, War. So I was like, right when they're needing yeah, bodies, how
0: did they, how did this pass muster? Okay, that answers that.
2: Like this guy would never be able to make it in nor him, nor Gary Madruga would be able to make it in in, in, a, in a peacetime military
0: no, or 2021
2: or a 2021 military. I don't know, man. I was I was in. And
0: yeah, that's a good point.
2: <sighs> I mean, it's been I've been out a long time, but I know that when I went when I was in, I would sometimes bump into people in uniform where I was like, how the fuck? did? You, <laughs> how did you get in here?
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, because, oh man, that's a rabbit hole. I won't go down it.
2: (laughs) Now, like, but like, you know, it's important to note Gary Mathias, not intellectually disabled, instead, a paranoid schizophrenic. And this paranoid schizophrenia made him very prone to violent outbursts. Mm. Now, Gary did have a criminal record after getting out of the military. There were some violent arrests. Uh, He, without, look, in 1976, three years after he got out of the army, uh, he was. Prescribed a combination of three antipsychotic medications, and uh, this seemed to get his schizophrenia under control, and he was considered a success by doctors. And that medication kept him episode free for the two years prior to his disappearance. But between his time getting out of the army in 73 and his time getting on those three antipsychotic medications in 76, for that three years, he was a loose cannon and he was dangerous. He, w- he wasn't uh, because of his schizophrenia. Um, there were he was arrested on multiple occasions, and also in that time he became a a drug user. Uh,
0: that's terrible. So
2: a drug addict with schizophrenia. It's
0: hard. It's hard. I can't imagine being having schizophrenia and having to manage that, and um, yes, just the whole situation is difficult.
2: Gary Mathias lived with his mother and stepfather. And was able to hold down a job working for his stepfather's landscaping business because, you know, after they got him on those antipsychotic medications, everything kind of leveled out for him. He was doing good. He, he hadn't had an episode in a long time. Like I said, he had a drug problem, though. He loved the Rolling Stones and was the lead singer in a local rock band called The Fifth Shade. And they actually won a Battle of the Bands event at the Yuba Sutter Fairgrounds. So that's, okay.
0: that's so he's fun. kind of a celebrity.
2: He had a girlfriend named Lisa, and he met the other boys after he became involved in the Gateway Project for drug counseling. So, you know, he's he's got paranoid schizophrenia, although it's controlled now because of the medications. That qualifies him to get into the Gateway Projects because he does have a mental illness. Uh, but they also have a drug counseling program there at the Gateway Projects, and that's why he becomes involved there. So even though he's kind of stable... Uh, In his mental illness, he is still a drug addict and he goes there for drug counseling. And after being there for a few months, he joins the Gateway Gators, where he meets the four young men that we previously described. Okay. Now, Jack Madruga, the owner of the Mercury Montego and Gary Mathias here, were the only two of the whole group that had driver's licenses. That's important to note. And uh, a few weeks prior to going missing... Gary Mathias had actually got some contact lenses so that he could play the basketball games more easily without his glasses falling down. Now, op, did you know that contact lenses were first invented in 1888 and were actually just little small, thin, round pieces of easily breakable glass that covered the entirety of your eye? And you just pop those bad boys on there and hope to God <laughs> that nobody hits you with a straight jab for fear of shattering that tiny little little piece of glass and causing shards of thin, broken glass to then be spread about your retina. Terrible.
0: Oh, that's a... You know, I will say, in the late 70s, early 80s, they hadn't come very far. We still had hard lenses back then. I don't...
2: Yeah, it makes me cringe uh, thinking about putting that on my eyeball. Yeah, that's rough. But in the 1888, when they were invented, it was literally a very delicate, very delicate (laughs) piece of thin easily breakable glass that you would pop onto your eye. So it'd
0: be like taking a, a, like a microwave light bulb and just shearing it off so that it was just enough to, to, you know, the half moon of the eye shape and then just sliding it onto you. Oh,
2: oh. I'll do you one better. (laughs) It would be like taking a paper thin piece of ice and trying to get it onto Uh. your eyeball.
0: Without breaking no. it. <laughs> oh, could you imagine the trial and error that they went through for that one? Oh, my gosh. More people probably went blind <laughs> because of
2: these contact lenses than had their vision uh, saved. Oh, uh, terrible. So that's our group op. That's our okay. five. That's our Gateway Gators. That's our Yuba County Five. Ted Weir, Bill Sterling, Jack Madruga, Jack Hewitt, and Gary Mathias. Join us
0: next time for part two. Where we tell you the story. <laughs> Bog Bodies Part 2. <laughs> so uh, this group of
2: ragtag, slow in the head, but fast on the court, basketball bad boys <laughs> was called something else by the locals. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> they were called something else. They had another nickname around town, uh, around the Gateway Projects, the neighborhoods and all the staff at the Gateway Projects. Everybody referred to them because they're always together as the boys. Ugh. And that's kind of sweet. They were just the boys. Boys. Oh, there's the boys. Everybody knows them. Uh, Everybody loves them. You know, they're just the boys. That's nice. That brings us up to date. And the day is February 24th, 1978. And it is a day that will go down in true crime history because uh, February 24th, 1978. It's a Friday up, a Friday night. It's the start of a weekend weekend. Young adults are out cruising town while blaring the Bee Gees and smoking pot and doing butt sets. Uh, not the boys, though. No. Not our boys. Nah. <laughs> not our innocent boys. Nope. Or anybody. <laughs> our boys are stoked. They're stoked because they're all getting stoked because they're all getting ready to load up into Jack Madruga's Mercury Montega and make the 50-minute drive north to Chico State University. Where they will be watching their favorite basketball team, the UC Davis Aggies, take on the Chico State Wildcats in a college basketball game. That's exciting. Uh, in the book that I read, it was it they were they were very. It's important to note that the UC Davis Aggies was all five boys' favorite basketball team. They idolized the players of the UC Davis Aggies. Now, this is a very big deal for them. Yeah,
0: that's huge. It's like the first time you get your driver's license and you go to the mall walk around by yourself like i did this
2: yeah and and they probably feel set a, 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 a bit of independence yeah. right They're but they're not with their parents Their parents aren't coming with them it's them five the five group they feel young uh and they probably i would imagine they 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 have people hovering over them yeah. a lot so they get to go do this alone with each other um and be adults young adults without uh somebody kind of trying to i don't know treat them like children yeah yeah that makes sense Now, adding to this already exciting knot, they had a basketball themselves the very next day, which was a Saturday at 9.30 a.m. in the morning. They would be playing in a Special Olympics basketball tournament at Sierra College in Rockland, California. And the winner of that basketball tournament would get a trip to Los Angeles where they would meet (laughs) TV show actress Sally Struthers from the then popular show...
0: All in the family. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing exciting about it. Have you ever heard Sally Struthers talk? She's, it's, it's the yes. most stressful yes, thing in the world. You're like, are you crying or are you not crying? What are you even? <laughs> what are you? She was perfect for that show. She was just like a punching bag for her father. Yeah, the children are starving. We get it, yeah, Sally. We get it. Stop not crying crying on a commercial. Uh, her uh, heart.
2: One thing I do need to point out about the winner of this tournament on other podcasts, other sources you will hear uh them say that the the trip, the winner of the trip got to go got to go to Disneyland. Um and despite these reports that's not true. The winners of this trip got to go meet Sally Struthers.
0: Uh-huh. sex.
2: Sally Struthers, not Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Jack Hewitt, the slowest of the group, had been in the basketball tournament the year before and had already got to meet Sally. He already got her autograph. And
0: they had done that.
2: That was also the prize, the year prior. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. <laughs> yes. Really. Sally Struthers. They couldn't get Archie or Edith Bunker <laughs> up. They got Sally Struthers. If somebody came up to me right now and I was sitting on my couch in my living room and said, hey, Kent. Sally Struthers is on your front porch right now if you want to meet her. I would literally be like, well, if she wants to come inside, she can. But other than that, I'm
0: watching Archie Bunker. Uh, if
2: she can't make it in, don't worry about
0: it. Can you imagine if they got to meet Archie instead? You'd be like, oh, what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with ah, N word. N word. R word. N word. R word. <laughs> I'll tell you another thing, Op. That show hasn't aged well. No. I can't even believe it was on. I mean. I can't either. It, it, even in even In the 70s, in the 70s especially. Like, it, it was, I mean, in its own way, groundbreaking or something breaking. Soul breaking, maybe. <laughs> uh, you know what show
2: did age well with Sally Struthers on? No. <laughs> there was one. And I looked up her entire acting career. Wow. And there was one show, and God, that I love it. That show, of course, many of the listeners are like bouncing in their seat. They know what show that is. That show was Dinosaurs.
0: Oh, she was
2: on that? She, she was. was. That show was awesome. She was the sister, Charlene Sinclair, in that show. Huh? Oh, I didn't. Remember the younger sister? Okay. Yeah, that was a good show. And anybody that's wondering what Dinosaurs was, it was a show uh, It went from uh, early 90s and it was, uh, I believe Jim Henson yes. did the, it was people in massive dinosaur suits and it was like people, it was dinosaurs that lived like people. And, uh, it was kind of, if, if some of it was kind of scary, it Was honestly, it was some disturbing. of the puppetry was kind of scary. It was
0: super just, dis- I guess what they did is they were like, well, Alf was a success. Let's try dinosaurs. And dinosaurs was way better yeah. than Alf. I loved dinosaurs.
1: It was good.
0: It was good. Yeah, it was. You're I right.
2: loved it. Oof. But yeah, Sally Struthers was the sister, Charlene Sinclair, in that show. And I'll tell you one thing, uh, the mom dinosaur in that hot. show. Right? Remember the mom? Oh, she was thick, yeah, boy. Hot. Ooh. Yep. Yeah, she was hot. That girl was thick. Yeah. She was an allosaurus, yeah. by the way. Did you know that? The mom? Oh. She was an allosaurus. Hey. And for whatever reason, Charlene, the character played by Sally Struthers, a protoceratops. Which tells you- and Earl, the dad... The dad, Earl, a megalosaurus. Yes, yes. Now you tell me how in the hell an allosaurus and a megalosaurus make a protoceratops. Uh, A
0: milkman is a protoceratops.
2: Even then, the mother is an allosaurus. That that, that doesn't matter. That doesn't add up. How? Not to mention the fact that Robbie, the oldest brother, was a hypsilophodon. Of course he was. What the fuck? Yeah. That's not how species work. It's a bunch of bullshit. That show. I loved it, though. Uh, let me point something else out to you, Op. That whole family of dinosaurs, their last name was Sinclair, uh, right? You ever heard of Sinclair Oil? Uh, yes. It's an oil refining corporation in real life, and their logo is what? A dinosaur. Yeah. And since the show was made during a time when we believed fossil fuel was made in part due to decayed animals,
0: <laughs> it was kind of a really dark joke in a kid's television show. Oh, my show. goodness. Oh, wow. That's a fun fact. I like that one.
2: I love dinosaurs. I loved it so much. Uh, None of the show dinosaurs matters in this story, though, (laughs) because everybody in this story was fucking dead before it came out. So anyways. Okay.
0: (laughs) Bringing it back home.
2: (laughs) Sorry for that little route that we took there about the show dinosaurs. That was completely unrelated. Before leaving for the Chico State Versus UC Davis basketball game, the boys here had all laid out their Gateway Gators uniforms on their bed. Gary Mathias had also repeatedly reminded his mother to not let him oversleep the next morning because of how big a deal the game was to him. Ted Weir had even jotted down in his diary about how excited he was about the game the next day. And this is coming from uh, the LA Times, March 6, 1979, the LA Times. And the LA Times says, quote, we are number one unquote, read the sprawled writing in Weir's Spiral Diary. If their team won the Sacramento qualifying tournament, it meant a trip to Southern California for the five slightly retarded wow. men.
0: Wow. They said unquote.
2: that. Unquote. The they time. went there. <laughs> it's not, well, they didn't go there because it was 79. That wasn't yeah, going anywhere, that, right? That wasn't like, oh, we're
0: getting edgy. Yeah. It's like, that's just how you talk. It's also funny. Yeah. If I have to be objective about things, Socially, we we used the word retarded in some slang some sl- slang ways. But if you think about the word retarded, it means stunted or slowed, and it's 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 an apropos word. It's unfortunate that socially we you know beat it around, and then we had to repurpose it with other words. And I'm not saying I want I want to bring it back. <laughs> I'm just saying you know it it it's a it's a very accurate word. For what they were, it's like you, you know we have fire retardant clothes. It, yeah, I mean it. Re-
2: it literally means kind of slow. Yeah, it, it's just yeah. So also, I've used the word retarded in the past. I'll probably do it again, but I want to point out
0: I would never refer to somebody with intellectually disability intellectual disabilities as retarded. Yeah, it's like you know what I mean. Like that isn't that the difference? Yeah, it's the intent, right? And we've covered that before. It's it's uh, if I saw somebody. Intellectually disabled, I'm not going to go,
2: oh, look at that retard. Yeah. Right. I use the word retarded when I'm fucking around with one of my friends. Right. Right. And I think that's the difference. Just like the word gay. Yeah. Right. I have gay friends. I would never, I would never be like, oh, bro, you're so gay. But like, sometimes it's like Nick Swartzen, the standup comedian says, sometimes things
0: are just gay, bro. (laughs) Like. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think another place to accurately use the word retarded is, wow, that's retarded, is when someone is coming out of a burning building and their clothes aren't on fire because the clothes were made to not catch on fire. You'd be like, wow, that's retarded. And they're like, yes, it is. It was also very expensive. Isn't that retardant? Yeah, but yeah but i think you could get away with saying retarded at that point too because everybody else is so worried about the burning building
2: it felt so good by the way just now to be able to point out something that you said that was slightly inaccurate <laughs> like I, i'm taking that trophy Tip-tory
0: lap yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'm doing fucking donuts right now in my car in the green beside the tree <laughs> holding up a sign that says retarded <laughs> that,
0: that's the one that's the one you get that's like a special olympics trophy you get you keep that one buddy
2: <laughs> so uh it's around five fifteen p.m on this friday february 24th 1978 ted weir quick, quickly finishes his dinner gobbles it down and is waiting in the living room when Jack Madruga pulls up in his prized Mercury Montego. Now, Ted Weir's mother tries to get him to take a coat or a jacket with him because it's supposed to snow that night, but he refuses and then runs outside and hops into the back seat beside Bill Sterling. Like I said, Jack Madruga is driving and sitting in the front beside Jack Madruga is Jack Hewitt. They then pull out and head down the street for Gary Mathias. Now, at 5.30 p.m., they pull into Gary Mathias' driveway and honk the horn. Gary runs out and also squeezes into the back seat beside Ted Weir and Bill Sterling. I was able uh, to locate historical weather data for this location and time, and it would have been around 55 degrees at the time that they picked Gary Mathias up and still light outside at 5.30 p.m., still full light because nautical, t- nautical twilight at this time uh, wasn't until 6.53 p.m. Uh, An nautical twilight is when the the sun falls behind the ridge line. Would they
0: also call that sunset. Is that sunset? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that sunset. Yeah.
2: The temperature, however, did on this day start rapidly dropping at around 9 p.m. Uh, according to what I was able to find. So at this point in time, it's 55 degrees, pretty comfortable. That's a good. That's a good temperature, yeah. right? That's a perfect temperature. Little chilly, maybe for some people, but at 9 p.m the temperature starts rapidly dropping quickly. So uh, with that in mind, the boys are now loaded up and headed for Chico State to watch a basketball game 50 minutes away. Uh, They make one last stop on their way out of town at the Miko service station at 619 Colusa Avenue, and it was managed by Bill Sterling's parents. And it's there that Bill gets out of the car and collects his $15 weekly allowance, which is equivalent to $63 today. So he gets his, his allowance from his parents and uh and then they head on out. This place is now this service station at six nineteen Calusa Avenue is now a Taco Bell, uh which is something I feel is said far too often.
0: Which is interesting because everyone that works at that Taco Bell today makes fifteen dollars.
2: <laughs> That's a good Full point. Yeah. <laughs> Life finds a way. It sure is, that does. is that phrase fitting for that Jurassic Park line, <laughs> I don't think that's even remotely. No, it is
0: because we mentioned dinosaurs, the TV show.
2: Taco Bell has really went to shit. I'll say yeah, that. In the last they don't couple deserve years. fifteen dollars so an hour if
0: you're working. Just saying, you know, get get my order right for a straight six months, and then we'll talk about increasing your. About my feelings on that, uh,
2: I don't, I don't care. Like I don't care how much money they make. Give them fifty dollars an hour. The problem is, um, inflation. Yeah. Okay the, the, prob- the problem is that, that that's just not the way economics uh, – you bring the minimum wage all the way up, you have to pay everybody, and then uh, supply drops and demand goes up, therefore price increases. This is basic economics.
0: Also, a factor um, in basic economics is when you increase the minimum wage, businesses also start to demand more uh, experience. And so it actually rules out your younger employee. Uh, this is statistically yes. true. So if you go to $15 an hour, an employer starts looking at uh, more adults in the workforce than, you know, offering those same jobs to, to, to kids. So it's just a reflex.
2: I do, however, feel that they should be offered a wage that's livable, something that is fair. But I don't know that increasing the minimum wage to $15 is going to solve the problem. It's just going to, uh, It's it's not going to solve no. anything.
0: It's also you know, the minimum wage. There's,
2: there's got to be another I don't answer.
0: know that actually that they equate minimum wage with livable wage. I don't, I don't know if that's actually a thing. You know, I, I, in, my, in my mind, my 16-year-old makes a minimum wage. He's still living at my house. You, you know what I yeah. mean? I mean, I, I don't think you're supposed to be able to make a minimum wage and, and provide for a whole family. I think that might be a misconception in our society today. I mean, well, I'll tell you what
2: I do believe, and I'm very firm in this belief is that if you get a job at a McDonald's or a Taco Bell or a Hardee's or a Carl's Jr. or whatever y'all fucking call it, <laughs> uh, if you get a job at a fast food restaurant and you put in your time there and, and you stay and you work your way up, you should earn a respectable wage and you should be able to provide a good life for your family. If you have put in your time and you have, I don't think that a manager should top out at like $13 an hour. I think they should be in the twenties. Oh, If they've put in their time and they've and they've worked and they've worked their way up. I
0: agree. I couldn't agree more because, you know, that 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 place is a positive breeding ground for youth, younger people that are employed, that 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 are learning to to work properly. And they're really only done that shepherded by good management. Right. And that management should should exactly accordingly.
2: Yeah, I agree. So so far, you know our young men—they've they're they're all up in the they're all up in the Mercury Montego, and they've just left on this road. This, this so far, this
0: sounds like the plot to a Fairly Brothers movie. Yeah, right, a comedy movie. I keep coming back to like Peanut Butter Falcon. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, or I
2: was thinking more along lines like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> like they meet wacky people along the way, <laughs> Large Marge on this road trip. Right, <laughs> they learn what true friendship
0: is. You know we talk about each other's big butt,
2: <laughs> yeah, one of them does a rail of cocaine and gets lost, <laughs> and the, some of the movie is them trying to find him. He's on the roof the entire time uh like a fairly like a comedy movie. It sounds like the plot to a comedy yeah. movie. Unfortunately, it's a horror movie yes, y'all. don't remind me at around seven p m the boys do make it to the game at Chico State. And they stay for the entire duration of the game. Uh, Many people later recounted seeing them there. Everything was fine. They made it there on time. They left on time. Everything, they had a good time. Uh, UC Davis does beat Chico State, 98 to 86. The boys were super stoked, right? Their team won the Aggies, UC Davis Aggies. Uh, They they had won. They had won. Their team had won. So they were in high spirits probably when Mm -hmm. they left. Been a good night away from their parents. Away from people treating them like they were kids, they're with their clique. It's a fucking Friday night. It's a it's clear skies. It's the the, like they're probably on cloud nine as a young man, right? Uh, Yeah, out with your friends, with your clique, your game, your basketball game, your team just won. Memory maker for sure. Yeah, they're making memories here. Uh, A little after ten p.m., many witnesses report seeing the boys pull out of the parking lot in Jack Madruga's turquoise. Mercury Montego, and everything seemed fine. They're on they're supposed to be apparently on their way home. The game's over. And at 10 PM, they pull out of the parking lot of the basketball court there. Around 1025 PM, so a few minutes later, the boys pull into Bears Market, just a few blocks away from the Chico State basketball arena, and they pull in there to get some snacks. They purchase one. Hostess cherry pie, one Langendorf lemon pie, one Snickers bar, one marathon bar, two Pepsis, and one quart and a half of milk. Now, I'll bet you're wondering with all that, you know, I said a marathon bar and you're probably thinking, Kent, what? What in the heck
0: and fuck? is a marathon bar. That's another sticker we should make. (laughs) I don't think my printer would print it, though. (laughs) We'd just say, nope, sorry. That's a swear word.
2: (laughs) What's a marathon bar? And you're probably wondering that if you're wondering that, I got you, fam. I got you. This comes from bulkcandy.com. And in a southern black gentleman's voice, Op is going to hit this. All
0: right. One second. Let me scroll to get the whole script in to view. And then, here we are. Right, here we are. The,
3: Mar, the Mars Candy Company introduced it in 1973, and it was a full eight inches of braided caramel covered in milk chocolate. It was marketed as the candy bar you can eat quickly in commercials by some kind of a cowboy guy. <laughs> the marathon bar came in a bright red wrapper, that made it stand out from other candy bars. There was actually a ruler on the wrapper that showed how long it really was. It was discontinued in 1981.
2: Good job, and And it's the candy bar that you can't eat quickly. And it has a a ruler on it that shows that it's fucking eight inches, baby. And you can't... (laughs) This isn't no one-minute candy bar. This is eight inches... Uh, The reason that I'm being kind of suggestive like that is if you type in marathon bar, old marathon bar commercials on YouTube, this ad, this marketing campaign for this candy bar was probably the most sexually suggestive candy bar in commercials that I've ever seen. I was going to say, just seriously, if you're listening to this podcast, pause it, go to YouTube, type in old marathon candy bar commercials. Uh, They... They all star John Wayne's son, Patrick Wayne, as the marathon man. And common phrases that you'll hear in the commercial are, it's eight inches, and it lasts a good long time. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. (laughs) And it was just braided caramel covered in milk chocolate. Sounds yummy. And that was the marathon bar, and it was discontinued in 1981. The reason that we know that the boys arrived at Bear's Market at around 1025 was because bear's market closed at 1030 that night and the night clerk, Mary Davis distinctly remembered them because she was agitated highly that they had come in so close to closing time, meaning she'd have to stay a little bit later than she wanted to. Mary Davis would later say, I could tell that they were a little different, but they were having a good time. They brought, they bought some things and then they left. Now, This is the last time, Op, that anybody would ever, for sure, 100% without a doubt, see the boys alive. I
0: might disagree with that because I'm pretty sure they saw each other. This is the last time that anybody that would be alive
2: the next morning would see the boys alive.
0: I can agree with that now. I can agree. Thank you.
2: Okay. The next morning, Saturday, February 25th, 1978, uh, the boys' curious parents. Open their bedroom doors, probably, to ask them how their night went, and only discover empty beds. And then they immediately become worried parents. Uh, they all begin communicating via telephone. Everybody's worried. Everybody's concerned. None of them are made it home. And then the boys' basketball game comes and goes. No word. That was the big. That was a huge deal to them. Basketball was their life, and their game uh, was something that was very important to them. So for them to to miss that is uh, is very concerning, and by 8 p.m. that evening, the police are contacted. Sunday, February 26, 1978, after not being heard from or seen in over 36 hours, Yuba's beloved boys are declared missing, and an official investigation is launched. So they went missing Friday night. By Sunday, an actual investigation is launched. I think a lot of that is because of how important these young men were to this community. Mm-hmm. They were kind of like the mascots, right, of the community. Yeah, I
0: could, uh, if if these were determined to be of sound mind individuals, all at the age that they were, you know, nobody's. They're going to be like, no, they're on a road trip. We're not putting out an investigation. I, yeah, but I agree with you.
2: Monday, February twenty seventh. Jack Madrugas, Turquoise, nineteen sixty nine, Mercury Montego is found on a small one-lane gravel recreational mountain road in the Plumas National Forest. Now, it was at an elevation of 4,400 feet, and it was found by a forest ranger named William Burris. Now, up this road to this day, still to this day, it is now, this happened in 78, uh, it is now 43 years later. This road is still a gravel one-lane road. Mm. It is still out in the middle of nowhere. This area is still not built up. It is on a mountain and dense forest. Uh, This area is now known as Rogers Cow Camp, and it is located in Butt County.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Butt County. Actually, is there an E on the end of that? There is. Yeah, that would be. So maybe it's butte. It's like if Canadians said butt. It'd be butte. Yeah,
2: a a butte. Butte. Yeah. To give you an idea of how high up this car was found uh, on this heavily wooded mountain, that little Mercury Montego had made it up this mountainside. It was sitting at 17% the elevation of Mount Everest. Oh, my goodness. Uh,
0: wow. You yeah, put it that way.
2: That is high. Wow. On a little rinkety one-lane one gravel and dirt road. That's scary. And like I said, essentially, it's found on a mountainside in the forest out in the middle of nowhere. And this place where it found, where it was found was 70 miles from Chico State where the game that they had been to was. And it was also 70 miles from, Yuda, from Yuba City where they lived. Uh, it was completely off course from the route that they would have taken home. Wow. So they had no reason to be in this area whatsoever. Creepy. It was found right at the snow line at the side of the little gravel dirt road. And although the snow had melted a little bit, By the time the car was found, the police speculated that it could have possibly became stuck. But that being said, they did note that it could have so easily been, uh, it was not in a place where five healthy grown men could have easily gotten out and pushed it free. It could have, with just a little nudge, it could have been free. It was still, for the most part, on the road, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like locked up, like, oh, we're, it was like, ah, shit, I'm, I'm hung up a little bit. Let's just push it. It's also important to keep in mind that maybe the listener is thinking, "Well, these are all intellectually disabled men." Yeah, four of them are. One of them is not. One of them is completely capable of rational thought. He's just schizophrenic, and he's on his medication, so even that's under control.
0: Yes. So that there, yeah, there's there's definitely somebody shepherding, potentially shepherding them through this. There's well, there's yeah, we'll get into that in just okay. a minute. Maybe there's not. Maybe not. not. <laughs> Could be wrong.
2: Doubt it, but. Uh, <laughs> That being said, uh, like I said, it, it could have easily been pushed free. The car had a quarter tank of gas in it. Well, once the police hotwired it, it started right up, fired right up like a brand new car. The keys weren't in it. Furthermore, one window was left down, even though the doors were locked. Uh, there were empty candy wrappers uh, from the gas station that, the boy, that, that were found inside, so the boys had eaten the candy. It's important to note, one window is left down. Jack Madruga, as we mentioned, a stickler about his vehicle. He would have never left a window down, especially in a snowstorm, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, the road going up the side of this mountain was absolute shit at the time. It was full of potholes and tire grooves. Really meant for more of a four-wheel drive vehicle than cars, right? Yeah. Fun fact, do you know where the word pothole comes from? Mm, no. From the Roman Empire, actually. Roman roads. Oftentimes, potters would go into the middle of these roads when carriages weren't coming through and dig up huge chunks of clay for their pots to make pots out of. And uh, Because it would make clay, right? And then the people on these carriages hated the potters because they made potholes in the road.
0: I didn't know that. That's a cool one. I like that.
2: Yeah, that's a little fun fact. Fun
0: fact. Look at you
2: potholes the term pothole goes all the way back to the roman empire
0: i was thinking it came from the 60s yeah where like a you know a, 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 too many pot too many stoners milling about in a muddy area sink down into a pit and they can't get out they're too high to get out so it's just called a pothole you know but i, I like the roman one better than so let's go with that
2: So, with all that in mind, you know, this old road, this old muddy, gravelly road full of potholes and grooves, with all that in mind, it's interesting to note that the underside of this Mercury Montego, this low-sitting vehicle, completely undamaged and relatively clean. (laughs) Even the muffler, which sits just inches from the ground, spotless. Really? Yes. This means... That somebody either drove that vehicle up there that knew the road extremely well. None of the boys had ever been in the, even in this area, let alone this road. None of them knew it. Or somebody had drove it up there extremely slowly and with care. It is one or the other. Now, Jack Madruga never let anybody drive his car but him. He was very, very, very adamant about that. The mystery deepens, thickens. So, like, you're probably wondering, well, maybe they wanted to go see what was going on, what was going on up here. It's important to note it is well documented by the parents and the family of these men that Bill Sterling, Jack Madruga, and Ted Weir, three of the five men, absolutely loathed the outdoors. They would have had zero desire whatsoever to go up into these mountains. Nothing up there had would have interested them at all. Yeah,
0: and if you're driving on a on a low road and you look up and you're like, oh. Wonder where all those tents are? One, one fifteenth of the way up Mount Everest. Let's let's drive our car there. Seventeen percent up the now, especially in the dark too, right? There, in the dark. Yeah, it's snowing.
2: Mm-mm. Also,
0: yeah. No, it's not going to
2: in the forest. And it's also important to keep where this was. This area, there's nothing. There's nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. March ninth, nineteen seventy eight. After extensive search efforts on horse, four-wheelers, on foot, the search is postponed until spring because the mountain where the car was found gets absolutely slammed to the gill with a snowstorm bearing everything in feet of snow. Some of the re- some of the searchers looking for the boys even got lost themselves and were and were found fortunately. Dang. So it's like a white blanket in front of their face. That like Very sad because I think at this point they realized uh, they're probably dead.
0: Yeah, that's not good.
2: A lot of things happen between the delay of the, the, the day that they choose to delay the search in March and resuming the search in June. So in this period of time between them calling off the search or postponing the search until they pick it back up in June, some things happen. Most of them are distractions. One of them, though. Is possibly useful, but first off, let's get the noise out of the way, the distractions, things that are worth noting, but I don't think I don't think hold any weight whatsoever. Nor do the police. Okay, there are a few false sightings. There were two actually. Neither of them held any weight whatsoever when investigated. So I don't even feel they're worth mentioning outside of that. Right? Does it really matter if some crazy lady or man says she saw him? You know, two states away in a red truck. It's fucking stupid. Yeah, no. No, shut yeah. up. Go away. Shut up. This is we're trying to do an investigation. Yeah. And also, whenever these stories were, were came out, the families of of the men said that the way that these two these false sightings, the way that they said the men were acting, were nothing like their it's like it's completely not not the behavior of their pe- of their of their sons.
0: Not even worth running down.
2: Yep. Not even worth. Yeah. Um. At one point, the police contacted a contacted a psychic. His gift, however, this day was apparently not working very well because all of his tips were utter horse shit when investigated. Uh, so that's a shock. Yeah. So a psychic comes up with empty results, nothing. Some people suspect that Gary may have wanted to see one of his old friends in a place called Forbestown, which is in the general direction of where the car was found. But uh, under any kind of uh, mic, under any kind of, you know, magnifying glass. This doesn't hold any weight either because Gary's family would later insist that Gary really wasn't in touch with these guys anymore and that was extremely unlikely. They were more acquaintances than friends and he had no reason to go. Well, and and
0: why why would he lug a bunch of the boys along, you know, it doesn't make sense.
2: No, this is grasping for straws. There is, however, one tip that does stand up. There is one tip, one story that held some weight and that story comes... From a 55-year-old man by the name of Joseph Shones, and Joseph Shones came forward after hearing about the missing after hearing about the missing men, and he told police that he had accidentally spent the night in that area where the Mercury Montego was found on the very night that the boys went missing. Now you're probably wondering, how do you accidentally spend the night in that area? Uh, it's pretty simple, really. Shone's owned a hunting cabin in the area, and he had driven up that road on the night of February twenty-fourth, the day that they went missing, and his Volkswagen Beetle in order to check the conditions of the road and everything. So, because he had, he was planning on taking his daughter and his wife up there the following weekend for a ski trip. Now, at five thirty p.m. that afternoon, Joseph Shone's Beetle gets stuck in the snow. Not hard to believe. Yeah, not at all. Beetle isn't an ideal vehicle in this situation. <laughs> Seems
0: like he'd be smarter than this. (laughs) He climbs out of his car to try and push it.
2: Like I said, this is 5.30 p.m. when Joseph Shones climbs out of his Beetle to try to get it unstuck out of the snow. Meanwhile, 70 miles away, Ted Weir is climbing into the back of the Mercury Montego with Jack Madruga sitting behind the wheel, and they're all excited for their basketball game. We're going to try to Quentin Tarantino this. Okay. Yeah. So 5.30 p.m. that night, Joseph Shones Beetle is getting stuck on this mountainside where these boys will eventually end up. But an excited Ted Weir is climbing into the back of the Mercury Montego. While Shones is trying to push his car out of the snow and unstick it, he gets a sharp pain in his chest and realizes that he's experiencing the early signs of a heart attack. Oh, no. This is not an ideal situation to be having to have your heart attack. No, not there. I'd rather be attacked by a bear oh, it, than my heart in this situation. And I've seen the Revenant. Rough. Uh, realizing he's having a heart attack, he comes back into his car and leaves it turned on with the heat running. He's fucked. He knows he's fucked. He then, Shones then sits in his car, stuck there in the snow on that mountainside, having a heart attack for the next six hours as it gets darker and colder outside. Yes. Meanwhile, while Shone's is having his heart attack there on the mountainside, the boys, our, our lovable boys are going to their basketball game. Uh they they watch their team win, uh they leave, they stop at a gas station at 10:25 p.m. 10:25 p.m. Like I said, they stop at this gas station and then depart from there to their eventual fate. It is important to note that this gas station that they leave from is uh, uh, uh Give or take an hour, right, from the location where the Mercury Montego was built. Probably a little over an hour. At 11.30, around 11.30 p.m. that night. So around an hour after the boys leave the gas station in Chico, Shones is now semi-delirious in his Volkswagen on the mountain in the middle of a heart attack when he hears whistling sounds. He turns and sees a car parked about 20 feet behind him in the dark with its headlights on, he sees what now keep in mind. It's dark outside and it's snowing. And in front of those headlights, he sees. So the headlights are probably blinding, right? He, They're, they're blaring in his mm-hmm. eyes. It's dark. He's in the middle of a heart attack. But he does in front of these headlights, sees five or six people walking around in front of the car. And one of them to him looked to be a woman holding a baby. Interesting. Shones, after seeing this, thinks that he's saved. He climbs out of his vehicle, shakily on weak knees, stands beside it in the cold, and starts yelling for help the best that he can. Um, but the second that he makes a noise and yells for help, the headlights of the car cut off, and everything goes completely silent. Nobody ever responds. Interesting. Uh, frustrated and still confused, he's in the middle of a heart attack. He climbs back into his be- vehicle. He climbs back. Vehicle. It's a vehicle. Bee- <laughs> Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and trying to seek more heat, right? He's back into the heat, the safety of his beetle. He, he, he comes back in, and it's there that he goes in and out of consciousness for the next two
0: hours. Well, I was rewinding here in the script to go back. I went back to the descriptions of each of the boys. None of them seem to fit the description of a female with a, holding a baby. So no or a female at all. Yeah, especially holding a baby. Like uh, none of them curly brown hair, brown eyes. Nope. Exactly. The only one that had a girlfriend was Gary Mathias and uh she wasn't pregnant. And Nor, none of them had kids. Yeah. And no babies unless they got one either at the gas station or at the basketball game. Well, it's important to note Op, that the
2: they left the gas station as five guys, as the group. And it's also important to note that uh, because of the time frame, right, between um, shown seeing them on this mountainside and them leaving the gas station, they didn't really have time to stop anywhere else. Or pick up a baby. I mean, or pick up a woman and a baby, yeah. Um, if they did stop somewhere, it was for a second. Yeah. It couldn't, um, because, I mean... Uh, just judging on how long it would take to get from that gas station to this mountainside, there's little room for fucking around. Yeah,
0: this is just getting more and more mysterious.
2: Yes, and it's going to get more mysterious, far more mysterious. Mm. This is why they call it the American, the Outlaws Pass. Okay. So uh, Shones goes in and out of consciousness for the next two hours. At around one thirty in the morning, he snapped out of his daze again by the whistling sound again. He hears whistling again. He looks up. And sees the same vehicle, but it's now 50 yards down the road with its headlights off this time. He does, however, see flashlight beams moving about around the passenger and driver's sides. Shones once again gets out of his car and starts walking towards it while screaming for help. The flashlights then cut off again and everything goes silent once more. Shones then returns back to his car and the heat inside and goes once again slips in and out of consciousness. 4 a.m., Sean's car runs out of gas, and the freezing cold snaps him out of his delirium. Realizing now the severity of his situation, he has no choice but to walk down the mountain if he plans on living. He's, he's having a heart attack. He is now, the car is cold. He's going to either freeze to death or die of the heart attack. He's going to have to revenant his way out of here.
0: The thing that creeps me out so far, the biggest thing that creeps me out is the Whistling.
2: I knew you were going to say that because it is extremely creepy.
0: Seriously. Yes. Like, yeah. There's almost like alien aspects. Yeah. Like, uh, it reminds me of a movie called Communion, which is about Whitley Strieber, who's actually based on true events, he says, but just the creepiness of like how legit alien experiences seem to happen. Not like the weird ones where you're like, "Ah, I don't know, you know, oh. Yeah, it just gives me the creeps. And having been out in the dark, yeah, having been out in the dark in the middle of the zero, you know, like no one's 20, 30 miles from you hunting in that dark, it's a different dark than being in like a campsite. Just a different, different dark altogether.
2: Let's take what you just said, uh, uh, what we just said, you about how creepy the whistling is and the fact the like kind of alien Mm kind of nature of this right and and put it on the shelf. Okay. Actually let's not put it on the shelf. Let's talk about it right now. I've already showed my hand. All four of these young men are going to die. Oh, four of them. The fifth one was never found. Oh. Goodness. Never. Has never been found to this day. His this area was meticulously searched by multiple parties over the next forty years. Never a trace found of it. Mm.
0: So creepy. So weird.
2: Right. And I don't think that I've ruined the story. Yeah, uh, most of them are going to die. So anyways, Shones has climbed out of his car. He's realizing it's freeze to death or die of his heart attack. He's going to have to walk out of here. Like I said, he gets out of his car and he begins the five-mile walk down the snow-covered mountain while having a heart
0: attack. This is a hard-ass man. Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) He'd be friends with that one guy Uh, that got his leg. He cut his own leg off. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he does on his way down the mountain pass what he would later confirm to be
2: was Jack Madruga's 1969 Mercury Montego on his way down the road. He looks inside. He sees the candy wrappers, everything out of the ordinary, no sign of the young men whatsoever. Everything is gone. Shones uh, eventually makes it the five miles out, five miles down the mountain to a restaurant called the Mountain House Lodge, and it's there that he is giving a, a, an emergency ride to the hospital. Uh, police do later confirm Shones' story. They find the hospital the hospital records confirming that Shones had been in there for a heart attack. He had been admitted that night. That the boys went missing for a heart attack, and the Mountain House Lodge had ensured uh, they had confirmed that he had got there after stumbling in. So his story is, I mean, for
0: the for as much as it could be confirmed, it has been confirmed. So, uh, I, and maybe stop me if you're going to get here, but when they found the Montego, did they also find his beetle? Uh, I don't know. I never, I never discussed. That's a good
2: question. I don't know. I never came across that. That's something I hadn't even thought about. I'm assuming they did, or actually, no. You know what? You know what? Because of the fact that this happens months after the boys went missing, I would say that he had probably went back up there and got the beetle himself. He
0: got the beetle himself and saw the Montego. At this point, he
2: doesn't even know that this this Montego a big deal or anything. Yeah, so that makes sense why they wouldn't beat it up. It was likely he got it released from the hospital the next day or a few days later, he probably just went up there and got it himself. Yeah. Cause at this point that Montego isn't even a big deal. It's just a
0: car. That's he outside. probably got released from the hospital and walked back up there. That yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry for the tangent.
2: It's also, you know, with all that in mind, it's important to note that he was having a heart attack. So how much of this was his brain playing tricks on, you know, like how much of this, uh, We know for sure that the Montego was there, but how much of it was him hallucinating? Yeah, good point. Sunday, June 4th, 1978. On a sunny day, a little over three months after the boys go missing, there's a small group of young men riding dirt bikes through the mountains, and they come upon an abandoned U.S. Forest Service trailer camp in a cul-de-sac on the Daniel Zink campground. Get this. 16 miles from where the Mercury Montego had been abandoned. 16 miles. Wow. Uh, by the way, don't let Daniel Zink campground fool you up. This is not a common camping area. It is still to this day the middle of fucking nowhere on a mountainside.
0: Yeah. Yep. I've been to those. I mean, not that one.
2: In this clearing was a was one main trailer surrounded by four smaller ones. Uh, this, this little unmanned outpost was uh, like occasionally used by the forest rangers for wildlife spotting and like, you know, search and rescue missions. It was kept stocked with food, water and heat when they would need it. But uh, most of the time it was unmanned and abandoned.
0: Have, have, just a quick question. When you, when you mentioned that distance, you know what comes to mind? Have, have you seen that, uh, that? that I think it's a series. Well, no, it's like one long. I can't remember if it was a series or one long show that mystery 411 the hunted did you see that
2: yes uh, where the the dude steps off the road into the woods like 20 feet and is never seen or heard from yeah, again and then
0: they find his shoes like 18 miles away on the outcropping above yeah. a town it, all that oh man
2: what was it that the guy that was with him said he heard too he heard some kind of distinct noise yeah, they, uh, really odd they noise
0: heard a big crack
2: yeah. That's probably I would say that story is even creepier than this Oof, one. That's a... We should cover that sometime. We'll just take the cuz he was so close to the road and his friend was right yeah. there. He said he just stepped out into the woods and fucking disappeared. Poof, yes. Vanished. Yeah. It Was never heard from again. Oh, creepy. So like I said, these uh dirt bike riders, they come up on this little clearing here that's it's an outpost for the for the forest rangers uh little like their trailers, I, I if I use the word cabin from here on out, sorry, it's little trailers, and it's just they're they're stocked to the gill with food, water and a heat source, right? Yes, they pull up there in that clearing, they shut their dirt bikes off probably to rest for a minute. They've been riding dirt bikes all day, and the second that the first man pulls his helmet off of his head, he is hit square in the face with the smell of human decomposition,
0: oh man.
2: He smells it strong. It's at this point they begin to notice they look around and notice that the wind that one of the windows to the main trailer has been busted out. Uh, the young man climbs from his dirt bike and peeks in through the broken window, and it is there that he sees inside laying on a bunk bed, on the bottom of a bunk bed is the emaciated and decomposing body of poor Ted Weir. The one that liked to call and and make phone calls about the phone books. Mm -hmm. Poor Ted Weir. He is there. He's dead. He's laying face up on the bottom mattress of this bunk bed with one hand on his chest. Crazy. Now, after these young men find this corpse, they flee the site like you do. Instead of poking it with a stick. And they uh, contact authorities. The area is soon swamped to the gill with police. And I'm just going to go into the details of Ted Weir's corpse here and his surroundings. Okay. Okay? Uh, Very interesting stuff here. Um, This is what the police discovered. Ted Weir, in this little trailer, had eight bed sheets pulled up neatly over his body and his chin.
0: Eight bed sheets.
2: Yes. Now, both of his pants legs were rolled up above his knees, revealing gangrene and blood poisoning on his feet. That appeared that appeared to be brought on by frostbite. Also, five of Ted's toes had fallen off due to frostbite. His leather shoes on his feet were missing and were never found. Never found. His shoes were never found. He had apparently. It looked to them at first that he had frozen to death. Now, this is the part that's going to creep you out. Ted had been two hundred pounds when he went missing. The day he went missing, his body though was severely emaciated he had lost 80 pounds before dying and judging by facial hair growth they de- they de- they deduced that ted had lived around 13 weeks after going missing and had died just two to three weeks prior to being found what what yes <laughs> it gets weirder on the table beside poor ted was a ring with the word ted engraved on it his gold necklace, and his wallet with all the cash still inside. But, weirder than that, on this table also laid a gold Watham watch that did not belong to Ted nor any of the Yuba County Five.
0: Weird.
2: There was also a single, partially melted candle. There was a lot of furniture. Now, they they, they figured that aside from the sheets, this candle was the only thing that had given whoever had been here warmth because uh, there was a lot of furniture and paperback books in the trailer that could have been used to start a fire for warmth, but it hadn't been done. There were several empty C-ration cans on the floor. Now, in a shed outside, we'll get back to these C-ration C ration cans in a minute. In a shed outside, there was a full propane tank that only needed to be turned on to provide the trailer with
0: adequate comfortable cozy heat but it, it had never been, hadn't used. been this is it hadn't been this used. is creeping Full me tank. Out. it's it feels like something between somewhere in between like the movie 7 and blair witch like and fire in the sky yeah you, if all those three movies yeah. had a baby that would be this scene oh
2: yes and it's only going to get weirder Good boy Because in another trailer close to this main trailer where Ted was found was a plethora of extra super warm blankets, not sheets, extra clothing, and a stockpile of food so large that it could have sustained several men for many, many months. This trailer had been broken into, and three cases of sea rations were uh, taken from it and had been completely eaten. And that's where the uh, C-ration cans in the floor lay. Uh, they had eaten, whoever had been in this trailer with Ted, uh, the, these Ted and this man had eaten a total of 36 meals, 12 meals in each case, three cases taken, 36 meals. And for those wondering what C-rations are, C-rations were like the 60s and 70s version of uh, what we have today in the military, MREs. Right, meals ready to eat. They stay, they keep forever. They don't have to be refrigerated. Um, it's what the, the troops use over like now. And they taste delicious. This is like the Vietnam version of him. Yeah. One important thing to note. The reason the C ration is important though. C ration, the cans and C rations have to be opened with a P 38 army issue can opener. Mm -hmm. Right now that is something that only Jack Madruga and Gary Mathias would have been able to use because of their military service. Mm. Uh, but there are other hints to say that maybe Gary Mathias is the one that would have been the the one taking care of Ted Weir here, though, in this trailer, trying to keep him alive, because Gary Mathias' tennis shoes were found neatly placed in the corner of this trailer.
0: So the only pair of shoes Gary Mathias would have had were found in the corner.
2: Yes, but keep in mind, Ted Weir's shoes were missing. Right. Okay. Off his body. Weird. Uh, Now, some rationalize Some believe that because frostbite causes swelling of the feet and because uh, Ted Weir's foot size was so much bigger that after Ted Weir died, uh, Gary Mathias took off his shoes that no longer fit him and used Ted's shoes because they were bigger. Mm. Uh, But that's just speculation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I said, investigators determined that somebody had been there with Ted trying to take care of him uh, while he was alive. And it looks like it may have been Gary, uh, Gary Mathias. Keep in mind, though, the reason that that's weird is because Gary Mathias is the only one here that isn't intellectually disabled. So he would have known to turn on the propane. He would have known to use the food. He would have known to make a fire, even if he didn't find the propane. He would have known to eat as much food as they needed to stay alive. He had
0: military experience. So, you know,
2: military experience. Yeah. He could have easily kept Ted alive if it was Gary Mathias. Mm-hmm. So an autopsy was conducted on Ted Weir's body. It it was determined that he had died of pulmonary congestion uh, or what is now called or commonly called uh, wet lung. And a wet lung is similar to pneumonia, and it is brought on by exposure to extreme cold temperatures.
0: Hmm. Wow.
2: After the discovery of Ted Weir's body, another massive search is launched. And on Tuesday, June 6th, two days after finding Ted's body in this trailer, Jack Madruga's badly decomposed skeletal remains are discovered in a field just off the road, and the keys to his his prized Mercury Montego are still in his pocket.
0: Okay, so they abandoned. Confirmed, they abandoned the car. Confirmed, they abandoned the car.
2: He has the keys in his pocket. Madruga's right arm had been bitten off by scavengers, and he was found laying on his side. Clutching his watch in his left hand, Uh, there's there's also a a, a kind of creepy aspect to this with the watches with time something Mm -hmm. right there's that unknown watch we still to this day don't know who it belonged to sitting beside Ted on the table and the last thing that Madruga seemed concerned about was the time this watch that's clutched in his left in his left hand Mm -hmm. on the same day on the other side of the road the skeletal remains of Bill Sterling are also found and his, his remains are identified by the wallet in his pocket. Now, Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling here had been best friends in real life, and it appears that they had stuck together until the end because they were found within 100 feet of each other in death. And this is the creepy part, up: These two bodies, Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling, were found 11 miles from the abandoned car and four and a half miles from the trailer where Ted had been found. Ow. <sighs> So these men are spread out all throughout these mountains.
0: And and, and because I guess skeletal remains so they can't tell like how long they lived or anything like that.
2: Yeah, it's skeletons. Yeah. Both of them had been heavily ravaged by animals. Like I said, Bill Sterling's skull was actually found 50 yards from the rest of his body. The sheriff speculated that Madruga had gotten tired and collapsed and Sterling just simply refused to leave his side and died not long Man. after. The next day, June 7th, Jackie Hewitt's body, Jack Hewitt's body, the most, remember, the most simple Mm -hmm. of the group, the slowest of the group, is found alone two and a half miles from the trailer where Ted had been found. So many miles from the car, many miles from the other two bodies, and many miles from Ted Weir's body. His body is scattered over a large area, also by scavengers, and his skull was found 100 yards from the main portion of his body. Uh, And unfortunately, Jack's father had been with the team that found the corpse. And when he picked up his son's shirt, the spinal column fell out of it. Oh, gosh. Autopsies were uh, naturally performed or the best they could be on all these remains. But since it was just bones, uh, some dry skin, uh, they were all skeletal in nature for the most part. They didn't they couldn't figure out what these men had died from. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Here's some other tidbits up. We do know that the boys traveled on foot. They had to because of the nature of these mountains, right? Not a lot of roads. They had traveled on foot in a snowstorm in mountainous
0: terrain between 11 and 19 miles total. Okay, so rewind just for a second. The car was not, it was just just parked, right? It wasn't like. It was parked. It had gas. It fired right up.
2: Nothing wrong with the car.
0: (sighs) That's crazy. That's a serious, that's a severe amount of walking. I mean. Almost like they were afraid of something. Yeah. I I don't know how you're that afraid. But I'll do you one better. Why the fuck were they up here in the first place? Yeah. For that. And then it's a literal journal entry. If I have to do five miles of hiking while hunting. And that's with a goal in mind, you know?
2: Yeah. Now, a lot of people will make the argument, you know, well, these are, Intellectually disabled men trying to figure trying to provide reason to these decisions is pointless. Uh, OK, I'll I'll I see your argument. But my, my counter argument to that is they are led by Gary Mathias, who is not intellectually disabled. Mm-hmm. He is medicated. Uh, he is, uh, for the most part,
0: a a normal human. Also, being. was this when they abandoned the car, did they go up the mountain or down? Kind of semi, it was, they kind of skirted so the They mountain. Traversed the mountain. That, that also yeah. doesn't stand to reason because without any knowledge, if you abandon a vehicle on a mountain road, you go down. Yeah. You don't make yeah. your life harder. Exactly. Wow. Oh, just gives me the chills. And they also weren't
2: dressed for any of this. If you remember, Ted Weir's mother tried to get him to put a coat on. He said, no, right. uh, we're just going to the game and coming right back. I don't need yep. a coat. And all of them were dressed that way, that were not dressed for this weather, so it's amazing that Ted Weir and supposedly Gary Mathias were even able to make it that far to the trailer without freezing to death.
0: yeah and that and that they want that they all ended up that I don't know I don't know about well yeah, ah, actually, you do know go on any military jog, right. How how disparate does that group get over 19 miles? Oh, <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, I'm talking Out hours. <laughs> the week get to the back. Yeah,
0: I mean yeah. that they all ended up within a very minute radius. Eleven, you know, 19. It doesn't in a snowstorm in the dark. You'd be leaving people back behind, like, a mile into it. Somebody's given up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. Now, to this day up, Gary Mathias
2: has never been found. He's never been spotted anywhere. Not even, like, a fake spotting where somebody said, I saw him at a Taco Bell Mm -hmm. in Idaho. That's never even happened. There's never even been false claims. He simply vanished into thin air. Poof. Mm-hmm. And and it's important to note, uh, when all the snow melted, these mountains, all these mountains were combed with a fine-tooth comb by hundreds of people. No hint of Gary Mathias has ever been found to this day. Creepy. Many people believe that his remains were just never found, right, covered with snow and then probably covered with leaves, and uh, they've just never been found. But here's some other tidbits of information. Jack Madruga would have never left the window down on his Mercury Montego. And he would have never let anybody else drive yeah. it. Yeah,
0: even that. So one window was that, down. That to me seems like the Love Pass tent situation, yeah. where the tears yeah, exactly. and everything. It's like the only reason the window would be down is if somebody came to the window, and then in shock and awe, they are they're pulled from the car or compelled out of the car in such a fashion that he's not thinking, "Well, let me put my window up first, maybe." What happened here? <sighs> And he's also got the keys in his pocket. His corpse is found,
2: he's got the keys on yeah. him. So some people would argue well, somebody else, you know, maybe they bumped
0: into a bad guy, the bad guy drove, but Madriga's found with the keys in his pocket. I've got I've got a crazy theory. I've got a crazy theory. Um they, Oh yeah, well, they What's were that? marched out of here. I mean that there's just I don't I don't think there's any other. They were marched and and for 11 to 19 miles it was orderly, right? I mean, there's no indication of anything other than the fact that they worked as more or less a cohesive unit to get to a general area where they were, right? I mean, there wasn't, like, stuff along the way. <laughs> okay, I hear you, but what was to
2: be gained? Because Ted Weir's body was found with its jewelry and its okay, money. I have a
0: thought. I have a thought. They weren't even wrong. give you the craziest supernatural— Okay, this, this is as far as my supernatural brain is willing to go. I've been in the woods a lot, right? And there's nothing that freaks me out more. Okay, I've I've been in my tent and I've had elk pass through my tent, through my camp. It happens all the time. They don't know you're there. Middle of the night, two, three in the morning, giant creatures make their way through your tent. And that's, once you've heard it happen a couple times, you know what it is. But before you know, it just, it it'll, it paralyzes you. But, there's nothing that freaks me out more than this is going to sound so stupid but but Bigfoot freaks me out because my opinion yeah. I don't think he's some dumb ape. I think that I don't know. I think he's Cain. I do I don't think that guy ever died. I don't think Abel's brother Cain he killed Abel and then he was cursed. I think it's Cain. I think that's that's who Bigfoot. And so it, what, you're going to go with okay, Bigfoot. Okay, he, just hear me out. If if Cain is still alive, let's just say, I mean, and this is such a crazy theory, but I I, I it, it's I enjoy it. I don't know. I don't believe it. I just enjoy it. I like stretching this story out. But if Cain was cursed and he never was to die until like, you know, Jesus comes back or something, right? That's a big curse. That's a long time to be on the earth. But he's as close to the devil as you get. And the first murderer on earth, you know. And the guy, I mean, he he was trained to do what he did, not by God but by the devil, right? So anyway, this dude lives this long, right? And there's God. people that say, "Well, I've seen I've seen small Bigfoot, I've seen obvi- very identifiable as female Bigfoot, that kind of a thing." So take this to like the craziest supernatural scenario you can think of. What if Cain's this all-knowing, the living forever guy? He's going to want to recruit people. This sounds so crazy. But so if there are people that are aware that there's a super evil guy that's living out there, there are people that would potentially be attracted to that. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of people, right? So I could see it where, where they're dragged from this car and they're, I don't know, like kind of Blair Witched. You know, they're they're drugged from their location, they're taken to another location. Kind of a, put in a yeah, trance. Yeah, and, and and that's how they make it that far. Almost supernatural like distances that the body the human body can't do. But but there's too many cases where this has happened. Like they're 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 being taken somewhere. And they I and in my my opinion, there's there's some people that are willing to go and willing to do this, and they become the female Bigfoot or the baby Bigfoot, you know, the, the, and there's probably procreation that happens during this, you know, like that. So
2: they become a crypt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, or, I mean, if you're stretching it out to, to apply with the curse and everything, maybe they become because they've kind of given up their soul in a way, you know, th- so they become like big, Bigfoot, anyway. Yeah. But do you think that
2: Bigfoot recruits, uh, developmentally disabled people (laughs) no (laughs) and then is the bigfoot then developmentally disabled
0: okay it doesn't okay there are full there are holes in the theory
2: (laughs) are you telling me that there's a schizophrenic bigfoot running around yuba city california
1: (laughs) okay there are holes in
2: the which is maybe the most terrifying thing that's ever been said on the show aside from the idea of the concept of land sharks (laughs) sharks with
0: lungs I I did not start this episode thinking I would unearth my most severely flawed, crazy cryptid theory. Um, it's not fully formed, but <laughs>
2: I have my own theory. Right, let's hear yours. And I'm I'm about to solve this and Diotlov's
0: pass. Okay, you ready? I'm so ready. Let's just get off of my theory for sure. Bees. <laughs> <laughs> okay continue winter,
1: winter bees. bees okay
0: yeah
2: they're driving along these winter bees <laughs> come out of nowhere there and start attacking them they exit the vehicle like chris farley and david spade and tommy boy <laughs> right whenever they're like oh, no! and they just start running <laughs> and they these bees track them for a <laughs> Well, first they they bring down first they bring down Jack Hewitt, okay, right, many miles from the, and then the 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 four remainders they run, they're still getting chased by the bees, they're getting stung, and not, of course none of this would come up in the autopsy, because there was skeletal right. remains, and then Jack Madruga, and and Sterling are the next to fall to the bees, <laughs> and now it's just Matthias and Ted. They make it they they're outside the cat they're outside the trailer they're beating let us see them, let us see them. we're getting stung by yeah. bees by winter, winter bees. bees yeah <laughs> and they they break the window and they get in but they've already Ted's already suffered so many stings and they and Gary Mathias lays him on the bed he can't get to the propane tank because of the bees because of the bees <laughs> there's the bees are still out there <laughs> and there it is that they succumb to their injuries aside. Gary makes one last ditch effort and he gets, I don't know, a couple hundred yards from the trailer and he's over, overrun by the bees. Now, D'Aut loves pass, right? Deal. They're in this tent. Bees. They're in this tent. They're sitting in their tent. We're going back all the way to episode yeah. three. They're sitting on this tent on the side of this mountain. It's cold outside. And then what do they hear?
0: <laughs> it's winter bees. It works. Oh, shit. Were, you think about Dietlov, right, for a minute. They have self-inflicted wounds, like injuries, right? Where they could have been like, yes. get the bees off of me. And the guy's like beating them with a stick and they're climbing the tree right. trying to get away from the bees. Okay. They run down the and mountain. Yeah, you would. You would run down. You wouldn't wear your shoes. Okay. So if you take that, you could be onto something, if not bees. I think if we if we stretched that out and we thought about it for a while. You know, that, that, that sense of fear, that sense of phobia or something would, but I don't know, like something motivated them to travel 19 miles. I don't know what phobia keeps you going beyond your ability to, to withstand that kind of a rigor and endurance to, to do it unless, unless you were marched. Well, you know, all jokes aside, uh, there are 10 million theories
2: about what happened to these young men, but most of those theories, uh, when you do a dive on them, much like the Olives Pass, they leave more questions than answers because the second you start trying to make One Piece fit, there's so many other questions that that doesn't answer. You know what I mean? It's like nobody ever saw anything out of the ordinary, the entirety of this night leading up to the boys going missing. That includes their time at the gas station, their time at the ball game, and the time at the snack bar afterwards. It's just none of it, none of these theories fits. They had no reason to be on that road in the first place. And this is the part in uh, all the other in this story when all the other podcasts that have covered this story like to start blurting their opinions, not like we did, like, you know, bees and and Bigfoot, but genuinely start voicing their opinions about what happened to the Mm -hmm. boys. But I think that shit's annoying. Because you, as the listener, probably do not care what I genuinely think happened. And why should you? Uh, Why should you? Why should you care what I think? Why should you care what the operator here thinks? My opinion and his opinion is no more valid than yours, which I'm sure you have formed as you've listened to this episode. So instead of doing that, instead of doing that, instead of talking for 45 minutes (laughs) about what we think happened and at the end going, well, that doesn't work because of this, you know, Uh, instead of that, what I'm going to do right now. I'm gonna bring my. You probably remember Joe, right up from the Sky King oh, episode. Cool. Oh, do we get to do we get a talk to Joe? I did. I got to what talk you to mean? Joe. What do you mean you you did? I gave him a call and I wanted to just kind of surprise him and be like, "What happened, Joe?" Oh, what happened to the Yuba County Five? I thought that because of his
0: pilotry background, he might have some inside so you, info. You called. You called Joe. You called Joe already. You already called him.
2: I already called him, and you're gonna hear that phone call. Weird.
0: You didn't. You didn't Soon. think to, uh, you, you didn't consider that I'd want to have a three away with Joe. I wanted him to myself. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I could have even sworn we talked about this as part of your contract that you would,
2: you are mad right now that you didn't get to talk to yeah, Joe, I, aren't I,
0: you? I, I, um, yeah, I'm a, I, I uh, don't really know what to, what to do with this new information. Did you talk about, did you say anything about me? Did you, did you, did you tell him hi for, for me? I don't think you ever even but came up. Weird. That is so weird. I have so many questions, more questions, helicopter related questions I, I had written down on a Steno pad here, too. So there, the next time we. Well, oh, weird.
2: You know, you bring up helicopters. It's because of Joe's extensive knowledge of helicopters and yes. pilotry that I figured he might know something okay. about this case. Uh, and we are going to insert that call right now. Hello. Hey, Joe. Uh. Hello. I'm not bothering you. Can I? Do you have like fifteen or thirty minutes? Uh, no, not really. Okay, cool. Because I wanted to get your idea, uh, your input, your expertise on a a case that me and Op are currently working on right now. And Uh, uh, okay, I just thought that you know, with you knowing what you know and your expertise and everything, that you probably know what happened here. You being a pilot.
5: Okay, so we're doing uh, so is it like a flying thing? Like what? What's going on? Um, in a way. In a way, but not
2: at all. It's about the Yuba County Five, a group of five men that went missing in 1978 in color and not Colorado. I'm sorry, California, in Chico, California, to be exact.
5: Okay, so you're calling me about some guys that went missing 40 years ago. Yeah. To weigh in, because my ex- expertise is a pilot, and I answer you, and I say, hey. Yeah, I don't have 30 minutes to talk about it, but right. we're going to keep going. Right. Okay.
2: Right. And when you say it like that, it sounds ridiculous.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um So what happened? Okay. I mean, how, how do you think what You're asking me what happened? What happened
2: to them? I'm asking you what happened, what happened to them?
5: Um so Hold on really quick. I need you because I got to be in your head. You're
2: probably wondering why I called you. I think this is my reasoning. You're in the air all the time, which probably means you've mastered the ground level. This is my line of thinking. Like they wouldn't let you in the air if you weren't really good at walking and driving things and being in being on the ground and doing things on the ground and eating on the ground and, you know, hunting on the ground and farming and navigating and shopping and fishing and hunting, and murders and um, like, you know, just uh, digging holes or not digging holes if you don't want to dig holes and throwing spears and going into caves and uh, maybe cliff diving, um, wingsuits and marbles, ball bearings, um, kickball, tentis.
5: Table table tentus. Did you just say tentus? Yes, tentus, table tentus. I don't know why I don't know why that is where I chose to stop you. Okay, so you've mastered what I'm saying is you've mastered all the
2: ground level activities. They've let you into the air. You're in the clouds with the with the Eagles and the and the Blue Jays, and I just figure and on top of that you work for the government. What are they saying around the shop? What are they saying around the shop? with what happened um to the Yuba County five in nineteen seventy eight. That's what I'm that's why I called you. That's where my head is, Joe. Okay. Um
5: I You probably forgot. You probably heard and forgot. You want me to just do like a real quick breakdown? Yes, because I I have no idea
2: what you're talking about. Yeah, right. So what happened is like real quickly, five young men um ranging, raging ranging in ages of twenty four to thirty two, they went missing. Joe in nineteen seventy eight, and they were all. They had four of them had intellectual slowness, while the fifth one, Gary Dell Mathias, was a paranoid schizophrenic. Now, two of them were veterans, and Gary Dell Mathias was one of those veterans. Jack Hewitt was a veteran of Vietnam, and Gary Dell Mathias was also a veteran of Vietnam. They went missing. One night in 1978 on their way to a basketball game uh, that everybody around their hometown called them the boys. They were just five young men with with problems, with with uh, just slow problems. And they went missing. And then a few months later, well, actually not long afterwards, their car was discovered up in the mountains. And it was the window was down and the keys weren't in. It had gas in the tank. It wasn't stuck. And then a search after the snow melted later, weeks later, months later, yielded uh, three corpses, the corpses of Bill Sterling, Jack Hewitt and Ted Weir. And then uh, they also found the corpse. uh, I'm sorry, Bill Sterling, Jack Hewitt and Jack Madruga. And they also found the corpse of Ted Weir in a cabin that had been stocked uh, full of food and water and whatnot. And it turns out that Ted Weir had actually been alive for weeks after they had went missing and he had lost. A whole bunch of weight, uh, a ridiculous amount of weight. Uh, judging by his beard growth, though, he had been uh, kept alive. And Gary Del Mathias has never been found to this day.
5: All right. So what happened? So to get this straight, you called me. Right. To see what I know about a 40-year-old case. Well, I mean, yeah. What's – well, I just figure what's the talk, talk around shop. went into the mountains and then you – I. Mm. You think we're, you think that we're just talking about this? Uh, I mean, you think that you yeah. think that this is like a, you know, well, let me tell you why we just fly, while fly I'm doing this, and, I have listened to hey. all the other
2: podcasts that did the, this, did this on their episode. And they always like to spend 45 minutes talking about what they think happened. And this is like the TCK version. I figure I would get somebody in the know.
5: In the know.
2: Yeah. Because hmm. you know, just as much about this as they do. And I figure if their opinion of what happened to these young men is supposed to hold any weight on their show, then your opinion, because you're in the know,
5: will also hold weight on my show. Right. Right. So, okay. so these guys go to a basketball game. What are a bunch of what are a bunch of grown men doing playing basketball?
2: Well, so they're all intellectually disabled. You're being very insensitive. They're very intellectually disabled, but they're going, they, they played on a, on a basketball team for their, for their, their club that they were in. And they were playing, it was like a, almost like a special Olympics basketball, right? Not it wasn't the special Olympics, but it was like a vert, like it was just like for the kids, for like the people that they were probably playing people in wheelchairs or something like that, you know, like. But they weren't on the way to their basketball game. They were they were on their way to a college basketball game. And they loved basketball. Oh. And they just this was their little click. Their little click. It was like it was like if
5: they were the boys.
2: It, yeah, they were the boys. It's like the little rascals meets uh what's eating Gilbert Grape. Of mice and men. Yeah, of mice. It's like if mice and men it's like if mice and men meets stand by me. Hey, you guys want to go see a body, but everybody's
5: yeah, yeah, but they're not going okay. to see a
2: body. They're going to a basketball game, and they're in a Mercury Montego owned by Jack Madruga.
5: A Mercury Montego.
2: Yeah, beautiful car.
5: Beautiful car. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I don't know anything. I don't know anything about it. Okay. Well, thanks, Joe. Yeah. Like I, you know, he's not going to tell even us. Even if I did know something, he's not. Even if I did us. know something, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you about it. But what can you not tell us? Well. No, I okay. Anyway. Look, what's I'm um, listen.
2: I'm gonna turn this off, right? <clears throat> I'm gonna turn this off, and after I turn it off, then you can tell me what you know. Okay, you ready? I'm gonna turn this off, Joe.
5: Okay, okay. You're We're, gonna. You are
3: no
2: recording has de initiated. I turned it off. <sighs> so it's just me and you. All right, man. I'm gonna level with you. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. My body is ready.
5: So a lot of people think that there was foul play involved. A lot of people. Is that what they're saying? Real hung up on the on the one guy, <clears throat> the one guy that they never found.
2: Yeah, goddamn Matthias.
5: Yeah, Matthias. Right. He's the villain in this story, right? Well, and according to you? No, no, no. According to everybody, everybody thinks he's the villain. Oh, I see. Yeah, because everybody thinks, oh yeah, he disappeared, right? He disappeared. Yeah. So everybody's like, oh, you know, Gary Mathias, you know, he, 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 went out there and he, you know, and then he, um, now, now he's not there anymore. You know? Right. That's what they think, right? Right. But what if I were to tell you that Jack Hewitt, and then the other guy, and then the other guy, and then the other guy? Mm-hmm. What if I were to tell you that those guys? Russian spies. Oh, is that what they're saying? What is if that I were what tell they're you saying? That, that yeah, well, I don't know, you know, I, I I can neither confirm nor deny. Okay. Russian, Cuban, Chinese spies, right? This is what insane in the membrane. What year was it? What year was it? 78. 78, the this height of the what? makes
2: perfect sense.
5: The Cold War. You know, height, uh, height of the Cold War. What if I were to tell you that what was the one guy's name that they never found?
2: Gary goddamn Mathias, Gary Del yeah, Mathias. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That one. All right. He's like a 1978 Jason Bourne.
2: This is what I want you to do right now, Joe.
5: James Bond.
2: Go into Google and type in Gary Del Mathias, and he looks like a Jason Bourne.
5: I'm telling you. See? And then- Those and then, huge so,
2: black-rimmed glasses.
5: Right. You can tell that guy's, you know- He's an operative.
2: He walks into a Waffle House and can tell you every the license plate on every vehicle in the parking.
5: He can tell you that the best place to find a gun is probably in the break room.
2: Right, right. You know? Taped to the underside of a table.
5: Yeah, probably. So
2: let so. me ask you this, Joe. And once again, we're not recording anymore. <laughs> right. Uh,
5: how come? What? How can we keep on snickering like that?
2: I just I thought of something funny—a funny joke. That my daughter told me this morning, and it's very funny it's a very funny joke um what's the joke? I'll tell you tomorrow I'll tell you tomorrow okay, so what was to be gained for Gary del matthias in murdering these four intellectually disabled young men
5: well let me let me ask you, let me ask you this. What year did basketball become an Olympic sport?
2: 1936. Which,
5: coincidentally, hmm. was good. Gary Mathias. That's the number he wore on the back of his jersey. I didn't even have that. I didn't even come across that in my research. So what did he have to gain? What did he have to gain? I'll an- I'll, well, I'll answer it. For, I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that right now. The Russians were trying to put together a basketball team to compete in the Olympics with the United States and the U S doesn't lose at basketball. Okay. So they were going up to that game because those operatives were going to try to get some players for Russia. Oh, they were scouting and, and, and Gary. Yep, That's right. And Gary Mathias, he had to, uh, he had to stop that. Right. So that's what he had to gain.
2: Wow. And you know, what's crazy about yeah. all this Joe is when we learn the truth right now, of what actually happened or not I said we uh, me I meant me when I learned the truth of what just happened it makes more sense than all of the other theories that the uh, every other podcast that's ever covered this story um have play have have put forth and spent 45 minutes of the episode doing and hold just as much water and I'm glad that we did this I'm glad that we did this
5: Uh yeah I um you know so to wrap things up. Yeah, which i already wrapped it boys, up. Right? Cuz I already turned the recording off. Well, yeah, I'm talking about wrapping it up with you because obviously, you know, I know that the recording is yeah. off, but like you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. uh uh-huh. That like how that really broke down, it's the whole story, the whole mystery is literally just a Olympic basketball scouting scandal. And it's all been covered up by the by the government. A
2: lot more boring. Then I, I I was thinking a Sasquatch or, you know, uh, ghosts or the maybe the mafia or uh, the Clintons or, you know, a number of things. I didn't think it would be just a big basketball scandal.
5: Yeah, no, I'm on the I'm on the phone with Kent. No, he's muted right now. No, I don't know. He he called me about I'm some not muted. fucking I can hear you. Joe, me I, can some, hear you. Like, I I don't know, some fucking dudes that got killed in the woods or something like that. I don't know. I just I, I can hear you. I don't know. You know this guy, he he'll just keep on fucking calling. I can hear you, Joe. So I told him some shit about like he said something about basketball <sighs> and all this That's stuff. So No, yeah, I'll be off with him okay. in a second. Just suck it up. He's gonna get back home. Yeah, no. Um I don't know, spaghetti, maybe? Not muted. Do we still have some of those steaks? I'm not muted. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll be up in a sec. Uh sorry, what? What are you saying, Kent?
2: Nothing. I've gotta get off the phone, Joe.
5: Oh, okay. Well, um yeah, don't call again. <sighs> okay.
2: I'll call you next week. All right.
5: Oh okay. Well <laughs> yeah, fuck me, I guess.
2: All right. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Bye. And we are back up. Uh, that was my phone call with Joe. Look, that's it. That's it, man. That was the Yuba County Five. I don't. i I'm not going to fucking tell you, say this is what happened. I don't know what happened. I have ideas, but I'm not going to go into those because I'm sure you as the listener have them too. And I bet you do too, the operator. And that is the end. That is that is the Yuba County Five. I hope we did it some justice. We don't know what happened. We'll never know what please, happened.
0: Please uh, subscribe to my Devil Spawn Bigfoot Theory. Um, help me flesh it out a little. Over in the comments. I believe that's the most likely. That's the most yeah. likely? Yeah. And not bees. We should, uh, yeah, you know what? We should run this out over the next six months. We should put together two posses of research teams and, and see see how this nets out. I do wanna note that uh, my source for this episode
2: was a book by the name of Out of Bounds by an author, Drew Hurst Beeson. Uh, good book, full of information, good read. Easy to read, very very dry. The way I like, I prefer my true crime books that way. I don't like a lot of speculation and bullshit. Mm. Um, just the facts. Out of bounds. Out of bounds by
0: Drew Hurst Beeson. Good book. Go to give it a, give it I a have shot. A play on words there because that has a you know basketball connotations.
2: Uh, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's man, it. All. Wow. And and bye.
0: Uh, <laughs> you don't want to tell everyone to f off like you did in the true crime kid trick Halloween special <laughs> you know that went over a, a lot better than I thought I it was thought going we to were definitely doomed <laughs> yeah that went surprisingly well everybody got it a kick sure out of did. that which I was. So I fatto. got a kick out of it well man the, the amount of research you put into these is, is uh, oftentimes daunting and I don't know how you do it but I will uh, I'll give you a little bit of a break to charge up and get ready for the next one so I'll call you Maybe tomorrow. I'll call you tomorrow around 11 a.m. Can't wait to see what you bring.
2: Yeah, I know you will. And despite my plea, please for you not to, I know you're going to. So I, I guess I'll just talk to you. I'll fucking talk to you then. I'll... Okay. Uh, <laughs>
1: huh? What?